this is the best show ever, meaning that, well, we're going to talk about the best things. So if that's your thing, then this is the best Tech Talk Taco Tuesday ever. We have Jay from Dirtbike TV on Instagram in, and we banter about all the things. And at the end of the show, we talk about the best bike ever built. So hang on for the ride. Welcome to Tech Talk Taco Tuesday. This is show number 197. This is going to be the best show ever for many different reasons. The best show ever. And the reason is because um, the show is not really very good at all. It's just a podcast live show where we uh, talk about motorcycles and motorcycle related products. I have a super special guest, Jay Clark from Dirt Bike TV. And I've known Jay for a long time. Uh, we were just kind of going, we had, we did the show before the show pre-show on Instagram on dirt bike, uh, TV's little Instagram thing, but we're here live on our normal channels. And tonight I was, I was out riding. I had a really good idea. I wanted to talk about the best of everything. And for sure, Jay was a guy to call cause he's been on sort of the other side of the aisle for a lot of my career where I got everything spoon fed to me. And Jay was the guy that was providing a lot of this stuff to all different kinds of magazine editors and stuff. And I think we both come from this background where we want to give you uh, a lot of really good, honest information. And I made a list of the best of questions. And we're going to finish this with the best bike ever. Right, Jay? Yes. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Jay's uh, Jay's um, enamored by the technology involved in uh, putting in. We just got the longest comment ever. I saw that. From uh, one JP Black. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> He's probably worried that his his uh, his top 20 show ranking could go down <laughs> one tonight. Because I think this is going to be – I'm calling it the best show. It could be the best show. But uh, we're going to talk about the best stuff. So – uh, Jay, welcome again. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. So I'm hearing that there might be some auto audio difficulties going on. Uh, generally, what we found, and you'll find that, that this is largely because people it's on their end. Oh, so this, they they don't have their stuff fine? tuned up. I hear them fine. I hear I hear Jay fine, and our levels are looking good on our end. Yeah, so the we people, have a lot of levels. My people like, are saying like a, they're they're hearing two of our conversation, right? Just Jimmy. Just Jimmy. Uh, you're your, your Instagram live. That's because he's not really talking much. He's probably talking. I can put Yeah. I wonder if it's if my phone's not playing the sound anymore. I can't hear me outside of here. No, our chat's saying sound is good. Yeah. Chat is saying uh, sound is good. Everything's good. Yeah. I don't know where they're I don't know where you're getting this. There's, there's a lot of there's a lot of false information on the internet. So you got to be careful, Jay. Yeah. Lots of false information. Is it fine? So the the, the sounds everybody's telling us this YouTube we can hear him fine. Uh Bill Nilsson sounds good. Okay. Zach Humphrey says I'm good here. I'm really good here too as well. Do you All have right. two devices with uh sound going out over there, Jay? We do have No, we just have just the Instagram live is still playing, right? It's yeah, it's it's good. But Donnie says right we're here. fine. Are you listening on Instagram Live or now? You should go check the YouTube, check his YouTube, and listen to that. All right, so we're ready to go. Let's just start rolling and see if we if we're good. <laughs> Let's start rolling. So the where I wanted to start this, uh, so is we we talked about this. I wanted to start with the stock is best discussion and explain this, and 
and you're a guy that makes a living modifying everything. And I'm a guy that, uh, well, my, my, a lot of my career was, was paid for by advertising from a lot of aftermarket companies. And I think we would both say that if, and this is the way I want to paraphrase is if I don't know anything about you, you know, just you, the regular person, the person we're talking to right now. And you said, I want to get this or that. The, the biggest net I could throw out there, the, the, probably the, the most accurate I could get is to just throw out some sort of, you, you know, tell me what kind of bike you're looking at, enduro, a dual sport bike, a motocross bike, just one of the stock bikes would be the best thing. Is that, is that accurate? Yes. And I get a lot of questions. Guys writing me and asking me what to put on their bike next, what pipe to put on what. And, and I love that people are going to buy the products for a lot of the companies I work with. But one of the first things I tell them to do is to make sure their bike is maintained well, that all their settings are good. Their suspension has been serviced in the, in the last 40, 50 hours, you know, and that their settings are all correct. Their sag is correct. They have correct springs. You know, I, I always kind of, I like to get, I ask them a few questions. Say, hey, if you've done all that stuff, then doing this next step would be good for you. But to throw a you know a pipe, let's say, on a bike that's not set up well, or uh, an ECU, and doing different things before you have those other things addressed, and a, and a stock bike. We know most stock bikes that come out in the last five years are all pretty dang good stock. Really good, yes. And and the thing is, is you think about the manufacturer. That's building the bikes just stock. They're trying to fit the widest group of guys. And the reason it isn't when we talk about you and you, the regular people, the reason that it isn't great for you is because you have special needs and that's where the aftermarket comes in. And so if you're maybe a little bit taller and you might want a taller seat or some lower foot pegs, different bar bend than it is for a regular guy, you're, you're a short guy and you might want your suspension lowered. That's where the that's where the modifications come in. But just as as a blanket, stock bikes are really really good. And in in when we pick our bike of the year, bike of the world, best bike ever, uh, we're pretty much talking about the stock bike that that we started with, right? Yeah, exactly. Spoil, spo- spoiler alert: <laughs> we're gonna you know we're gonna pick a stock bike at the end, but. Um, that's, that's what, uh, you know, that's, that's what the basis is, but I I'm still, I'm still making a decision on my bike, but knowing the bike and then modifications really play into the, I think the bike that I'm going to pick, you know, it's like, because you can modify it and do stuff with it. And then that, but anyways, okay, we're going to get there. So that's why we, a lot of times we say stock is best because stock is durable. Stock is tested and proven. Stock's going to fit a wide variety of people. So that works out. We're, we're in agreement there. Okay. So th- I'm going to go, I'm going to go with uh, this. What is the bike that responded to modifications the best? So, so think about, okay, there's a stock bike with some problems and then it was there a bike that was just really easy to modify. And I have one in my head that, that I like, uh, so you can, you answer this one? Well, there's two bikes that popped ahead. First one is a motocross bike because the YZ 250 F over the last five to seven years, it doesn't take much to make that thing better. And then we, it's been proven with the race teams that have been racing them with 
sorry, on all the different levels since 2014, since they started racing that bike. So basically we're looking at 10 years now, right? On that bike, that platform is similar platform. And that bike with just a little bit of mods got really good. And it did need a lot of money into the engine to make it durable with valves, uh, cam chains and, and rod and so forth to make it durable. But that bike with mods just became incredible in that 250 F class for motocross. And then for me on the trail side of things on the bikes that I'm familiar with would be the, the 2017 to 2019 carbureted 300 XC. Those are one of our favorite bikes. And just with a little bit of mods, swapping out the carburetor to a key and carb uh, or electron, either one, it just a little bit of mods. The bike was incredible. I, I I completely forgot about the carbureted KTM two strokes and that I totally agree with that one. The, the Yamaha, eh, I would actually go. It's funny because I was thinking one of my favorite ones would be YZ two fifty two stroke. Oh yeah, and and again, uh, I have to list off my sponsors here. This show is brought to you by Yamaha. <laughs> so, but that's it's it's exactly the same as the KTM you know three hundred two stroke as well because it's just it's just one of these bikes that's simple pretty damn bulletproof tons of modifications available for it and it they 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 kind of stayed the same not the yamaha stayed the same forever so there's so much stuff available for it and they they just they're they're great stock they're great modified you can modify them into quite a bit different things so yeah, that's uh in in my world, I would say I I would say YZ two fifty two stroke. They're, they're is, great. Uh, they're great bikes. So we just built one for MXA, and Tom Morgan did the engine, and he's been building that spec since like oh three oh four for that engine. Right, proved it. He did he did uh, bounce the crank and got a little better, but that crank, as far as without a counterbalance or motor, it's about as good as you're going to get. It's still, I kind of didn't bring that one up because I have that bike here and I don't ride it that much, mainly because it, I'm not man enough to ride it uh, at the track like I should be able to. <laughs> and I used to ride 252 strokes a lot through the 90s and early 2000s. And I swore I would never stop riding 252 strokes. But once I did, it was hard to get back back on them. What about what about big bore 250Fs? Do, so big bore, Those are always a favorite of yours. Yes, I do like big bore 250Fs. Um, unfortunately there's not as many avenues for those anymore, but they're, you know, the, the, the company cylinder works, isn't making those like they were, uh, since there's not as many key people there anymore that pushing dirt bike stuff. And so there's not going to be a lot of newer ones. And so those were nice because they were bolt in. You just, and especially in the fuel injected bikes, there was very little you had to do. You could get away with even the stock ECU in many cases. Yeah. And that, I remember that was the biggest problem. Like I was talking about earlier when we, when we modified those four Honda 250 Fs, we spent so much time jetting those bikes. And then all of a sudden, you know, it was really, they didn't rev. The carbureted ones had a hard time revving when you built them up and then fuel injection came out and you just get this two millimeter bigger bore and they got really good power. The, the power increase was kind of crazy and what a you know what a change so like that's a that's another bike that and it, i think people look at this when they when they're looking at used bikes it's like hey i'm i'm going to buy a used bike i'm going to get a good deal on it and then maybe there's some stuff i can do and it makes it uh you know fix fix this stuff up i don't think we need to worry about the sound too much there matt i know there's a little bit of a delay but i think it has a little bit more to do with some other stuff on the side but and, matt's over here pushing buttons like crazy yeah. your producers doing the same thing yeah and, and while you're mentioning on that YZ250, that is one of the best used bikes for people to go after. I get a lot of people email me on what bike they should buy. And I had a guy the other day write me about a like a 
a WR250, like an 03 or 04, or a YZ250, like 05 or 06. And so me, so for yeah. me, when he's describing this, I'm like, it's a no-brainer to get that two-stroke because when you go for a 20-year-old four-stroke versus a 20-year-old two-stroke, it's a whole lot easier to, uh, to to work with it and have fun. And if it does break down, which eventually they all will, uh, it won't be so drastic on you. Yeah, it's not, it's not necessarily break down. They kind of like they wear, they wear out. I mean, yeah, if you it, well, they, well, they wear out, then they break down. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's generally it's generally they just don't break down. You 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 wear something out like you don't get your suspension service yeah. and the seals go. You know, you you run the crank a little bit too long, sucked a little bit of dirt. Oh, it's no big deal. Uh, then you're looking at rod and piston and maybe cylinder replating. So. Uh, and, and I always see, every time I see one of these bike builds, you do these the junk that you bring in and I go, I wish I had all of his connections. I do the same thing because <laughs> <laughs> some of those bikes and I rode, I remember, you know, you built a YZ250 for us and it was, it was a basket case bike and you got it back and it, it, it ended up costing almost as much as a new one, but it had every modification done to it. So net, net. Yeah, you paid a new bike price, but you had a completely set up modified new bike. Correct. And uh, and that gap's so, getting a little know, better. It, that gap's getting a little better now with how expensive new bikes are. So it is getting a little bit better, and it makes sense to do that with a lot of two strokes. Maybe not as much sense with a four stroke. Right. So next one I have on my list was the best aftermarket part ever. I would have to right now. I would comes to my mind is ECUs just because of the newer generation. Really, and with an ECU, whether you're mapping a stock one because that that that's progressing a lot now. Uh, Jamie at Twisted, I work with him a lot. Between you know Vortex and all the different brands of ECUs, and then the engine builders that are building them, I feel like when I put an ECU on a, a mo- either a motocross bike or a trail four stroke, and you go out and ride, it becomes really apparent. And then I, I've been spending some time with Jamie yesterday. We were talking about he he mapped all of Imig's uh, 252 strokes that he rode at Loretta's and they tested for a bunch and came up with some good settings. And he's saying, he's thinking on those two stroke uh, enduro bikes that we're going to be the XCs and XCWs. He's going to be able to come up with some really good maps for those bikes as well. So that's I, I want to, I want to work with somebody. I, I talked to um, uh, from get, I saw him up at Washougal. I told him I wanted, cause I did some stuff with, early early on development on that with the electronic power valve there's so much yeah to do with that the electronic power valve is what makes the the tbi so much better than the tpi it's not really the position of the injectors it has something to do with but that electronic power valve it was crazy because they had all these different things and like hey try this and and it's funny because they just did a power valve change and it made it, it basically they they opened it wide open the whole time and it made it run like an old 500 two stroke right. it was going ding 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 you know low low lower compression all the stuff but uh um but yeah i think i want to i want to play with those but i'm going to completely 100 disagree with you because <laughs> i hate i i i hate <laughs> i hate the whole you have to get an ecu thing when i you know, when the guy, I'm talking to the guy with the ECU and he can't even tell me like where in the throttle he's having a problem with it. He just wants more power. I, I want more power. And it's like, and you probably know this from hearing me jabber on this show. If you want more power, you just take the throttle, the one that's on your bike, that's complete stock, and you just turn it farther than where it is yeah, right. and you get more power. I'm, I'm a cheapskate. I like doing things for free. Turn 
the throttle farther, get more power. It's free. You don't have to do an ECU to that. Right. So I, I, I'm, I'm torn because like in reality, like new tires should be your best, you know, modification ever. Because <laughs> think what's connecting to the ground, tires, traction, get, get some tires. And my second thing was recluse clutch. And I know I, I, you know, you see it all the time. It's like, okay, you might as well just wear a dress if you're going to put a recluse clutch on your bike. I get it. But that recluse clutch is way better at doing the clutch than, yeah, I would say 95% of the riders out there. And it, especially for trail riding, it allows you to ride more difficult stuff because you have you quit thinking about stalling the bike and it teaches you to trust the torque of the motorcycle and gives you, you know, at that point, it gives you better traction where most guys are, they, they think they're going to stall and they're on and off and with their clutch and then they're heating their bike up and all this other stuff. And even on the moto track, and I remember doing early, early fuel injection 450 motocross bikes, I started running recluse clutches in my bikes because I could do a third gear start like nobody's business. I would just hold the throttle wide open and hold the clutch in and just drop it. And the recluse would do all the work. And when everybody made their shift, I was You're three to four bike lanes ahead of everybody. And and I never told anybody like how come my starts got so much better. And then and then I learned all the real reasons it got better, like balance and some other stuff. So I would go tires and maybe as far as a product goes, a real product, I would almost uh, venture to say recluse clutch. That's cool. So you want to you want to rebuttal to that one? No, I think it's great. I need to spend more time on them. I wrote it on that uh, you know best bike ever, the five seventy, and it was oh, no 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 don't don't. Don't give away any hints, Jay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they're, 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 it's, and it's not for everybody. And I don't, I don't think it is, but I do think that until you've really tried it and given it a shot, it's a, it's a, it's a good thing, but uh, way better than. We're sitting uh, <laughs> on my, I don't know if you can see it. I don't know if you can't. It's my, we're sitting on a radius CX box right now. My computer is. Uh, so we got one going in a WR450 here soon. We're a uh, fuel injected one. That's uh, like a, we're, we're, wow. Yeah. Oh, so you, so you have a Yamaha WR450? It, well, it's Rados, my buddies. And so we're going to build that engine uh, with a, a Radius CX. Yeah, those are, those are, you'll, you'll be, you'll be happy. It's good. And, and if, and if, and I like to set them so they drag a little bit because then the bike doesn't free all the bad things that happen with them um, doesn't happen. So speaking of that, and since we said tires, one of the things that I have on the list, what is the best tire ever? Oh, Jay's uh, brought to you by Dunlop. Right. <laughs> and so I get lots of people asking questions about tires when they email us. And I just, the first thing I say is I work for Dunlop. So I don't have a lot of opinions on other brands because that's mainly all I ride. I really don't spend time riding anything else. Um, even mm -hmm. when the bikes are stock, we ride them just for a little bit at the track or whatever. And it, and that's it. So there's two main tires that I like, and that's the MX-12 and now the MX-14. It's a sand tire. And so I run that at, at Glen Helen a lot, Kauia. And even in the winter in the desert, like Hesperia, that kind of desert, we run uh, MX-12 a lot because it just hooks up so good and it just it's fun in those sand hill climbs and it just works amazing. And the durability is pretty dang good for that kind of tire. And then the next tire would be a gummy tire for trail riding. Then I would go with it. And we, we just tried a brand new trials tire, TL-01 from Dunlop, which has taken the place of that D803 GP. And it's really Oh, really? Good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And it's, it has a much stronger sidewall. So the tire is, first of all, it was really hard to install when I was putting it on. I'm like, man, this thing's way stronger than, than the old style uh, trials tire. So way more sidewall strength there. And so people would complain that it could be wallowy at high speeds and so forth. I think this is going to be a lot better for that. Is this, is this tire, is it, is it still a competition trials tire? Yes. So full competition. This is taking the place of D803. The D803, because that's yeah. that's funny that they've gotten stiffer. I didn't know this and, and uh, that they have a new tire. But, I mean, I was one of the first adapters of Trials tires. I, I And actually, I wasn't one of the first. Some old dudes that I rode with up in Idaho and in California were running the Michelin tire, which was really expensive and hard to get. Yeah. They were running the Pirelli uh, MT43, I believe it was, which is kind of harder. It was the only one that would keep the knobs on it for highway speeds. Yeah. And then they were running the Dunlop 801, which was the 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 predecessor to the 803. But it was it was easier to get and less expensive than the Michelin, and and it was really sticky. And I think I I I honestly felt that the 803 kind of took a step back from the 801. So it it'll be interesting to see what they they come up with. But uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not a big fan on the soft terrain tires. It's funny. I'm here's where we're completely different. So I'm a Kenda guy. I've been Kenda for quite a few years now. They help me out with my off road schools, and so this is what I run most of the time on my personal bikes. And my tires are the Kenda Parker DTs, which are actually DOT legal knobbies. And the probably the only place I don't run those is on a motocross track. I, it, it, the motocross, um, I, I, I would say there's definitely a lot better tires than, than Kenda's. And, and on the other side of the spectrum is I've never really been a Dunlop guy and not that, that I don't think that their tires are, I think their tires are great actually for everybody, but me, <laughs> I, I think I turn at a, what I'll call a non Dunlop angle. I need to, to make the Dunlops really work. I need to lean over a little bit more than I want to, which means I need to go faster than I want to, or I can't lean as much as I want to. And that actually equated into a, what I would call a Bridgestone lean angle. Cause in, I remember when we were doing all the stock bike testing, I always preferred just the grip of, of Bridgestone tires when we were kind of doing different, different stuff. But all of a sudden, they kind of stepped a little bit back from the, the the racing and stuff. But I'm a Kenda Parker DT guy with one exception is that if I'm going to go trail riding, I'll run a tire they have called the Equilibrium, which is a – we'll call it a mix between a trials tire and a trail riding tire. So it's a trials tire with wider spacing, super soft sidewall. And then um, there's there's the the traction that you get from the from that large footprint – and it's uh, so trials, trials, tire, trail riding guys, you, you're still alive. We have something for you. But the full like when we go to the full soft stuff. Yeah. When the traction is great. I like that. But I don't like the way that they work on the brakes. And that's I'm, it's different than everybody else. Everybody want, wants to talk about traction when they're accelerating and stuff. I'm really picky about traction on the brakes. And uh, so that's the really open block soft terrain tires tend to. I don't know, not do what I expect them to do. They just don't try. They don't center up and they don't track. They tend to want to push side to side a little bit more than uh, what, what I would like. No, you there. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're digesting it. 
Yeah, I think you need to, as far as the, the regular Dunlops, the new MX-34, which I don't think you've got to run yet, that, that should help on some of that, what you're talking about. So, But that's going to be more of a moto tire and, and not crossover to as, as much as this, the trail stuff you're riding. What's what's on the Yamaha WR for 250 and 450? That's that's MX33, correct? It, or AT81, but it's probably 33. No, it's it's not so I know it's not AT81 because that's a tire. I mean, I understand where it's at. It's a it's a long life, it's a it's a hard train, long life tire. And I just never got along with it, but basically because the sidewall was so stiff. And it just kind of transmitted that like, but the, but even like the Yamaha WR has that, um, that uh, it, it works on that bike for some reason. I think that bike's just a little bit heavier and that little extra weight makes that Dunlop tire, the MX-33 work good on it. So it's and the best thing about tires is if you don't like them, change them. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a hundred different flavors out there and you'll, you'll find one. And some of the stuff that's coming out of, you know, um, whether it's Rocky Mountain with their Tusk tires and some of the some of the you know different lens ones like Shinkos and Golden tires and there's companies that are coming up with some pretty good stuff. The sticky you know the sticky thing is just was like a revolution a few years ago. I don't I don't run them all that much because mm, wear you know yeah I ride a lot and yeah, especially <laughs> and where you're going out quickly. of I, what. The gummy tires for me, the sticky tires for a trail guy, whether it's a is to me is for those guys taking that big trip. They're going to go to Colorado, Idaho. They're going on a big trip. They're traveling a long way. They're going to Moab, whatever it is. And to spend the extra 120 bucks to get the good tire for that three to four days, five days they're going to ride. It's well worth it, in my opinion, because they're spending thousands of dollars for their stay, their travel right. to get there. So on something like that, I think that's where that tire is a kind of a no brainer. Hey, you're spending all this money. I'd have, I'd have to take like five or six tires with me because <laughs> <laughs> I ride a lot right. when I go on that trip. So I like to put one tire on my bike. It's going to last the whole time. There's my Kenda Parker DT plug, right? Yeah. So most guys don't do what you're doing and they're going to go out and do 40 to 50 miles a day for three or four days. And, right. and that's about it. And then ride some, you know, other stuff. And if it saves them from falling over in one or two spots, it's well worth it. And that's the way I kind of look at it. Those tires, that's what it'll do. It'll save me from falling over a couple of times. Yes. I, and I agree. I mean, it's like, it, it is a, they, they call them, some of the brands call them cheaters. Yeah. You know, there's cause they're so sticky. They grip on things, especially on the, on the slick rock and stuff like that. And then the one thing you will find if you're, if you start realizing that some of those tires are way more expensive than others, it's the compound and the rubber. And I found that the more you're paying for the tire, the better it works in wet conditions. Right. <laughs> I don't, don't know what the equation is. I think it's something that's just sticking in the rubber. That's more expensive. But, uh, yeah. Um, okay. So next, the next question. So we're talking about just regular guys and you probably have this a lot more than I do. Top three aftermarket parts that regular guys should buy and why. So like guys got his bike and he says, what three things should I do to it? Maybe not even aftermarket parts. Like what three things should I, should I do to this? Okay, so we'll look at like this Yamaha right here, for instance. I would say num number one on in these current bikes, and I'm referring, I guess it would be trail or moto, would be that you're happy with the suspension first. That should be number one, is that you're happy with it. Doesn't mean you have to get it done. Whether you go 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 tune on the stock stuff, maybe you need a spring for for one. 
but you should be happy with the stock suspension to where you feel like that's not holding you back. You're hammering and you, and you feel good with the stocks with, with whatever suspension you come up with. That should be number one. Right. And there's, there's almost a formula for correct springs. You know, if you're, if you're, if you can't get the right kind of sag, you don't have the free sag. And we've talked about this many times on the show. Jay does like things where he shows you how to set the sag. If, if your spring rates are off, you're, you're not going to be happy unless you don't know. And there's always people that just don't know, but this is why we're talking about this, getting that suspension set up. And I'm, I'm totally against the guy that just takes his suspension off his bike before he's really even ridden it and sends it off to something. I would say if you're just going to have springs put on it, that's okay. If you can't do that, you know, have the springs done, but put some time on the stock stuff and at least play with it so that you can a have that oil do a little bit of the break in and, you know, and then you're cleaning out the, you're cleaning out your cement, just like changing oil in your motor. You want to, you know, break it in, clean it out with new oil. And then if you actually play with the clickers, you will start learning the direction you might want to go. And you can at least communicate with your suspension tuner about, Hey, this is where I want to go to get comfortable. Cause I, I've, I've still, yeah, I'll go one, one, one thing. I, I still haven't found the suspension tune that you can say, uh, here's my height and weight and my riding ability. And they can just magically pull shims out and stick it in there. Right. You, and that's and that's to me, that's the, the key is what you just said, is that you should ride it first stock. Get get the sag as close as you can. I mean, some of these bikes we ride, we're all bigger. And if it's a 250F, sometimes we're, you know, to get our 105 millimeters of sag, we got. 15 millimeters of free sag so we know we're off on the spring but we, we'll, we'll go ride it and then i like to tell my suspension guy the things i like about it stock and the things i don't so he's got two or three things on each side of that and then from there because i don't want to i don't want to make it worse and sometimes that can happen right and people don't realize yeah. that if they don't ride it first yeah there's, there's a lot of this like i said they, they just don't know and, and sometimes i've seen people that send it off and it's like it's like well where'd you have your sag set at because they said, oh, it was horrible. And I'm like, yeah. where'd you have your sag set off? And I'm like, oh, okay. So, okay. So, so suspension is one. Uh, next thing. So, so happy with the suspension. And then I guess after that, to me, on these, on these bikes, a, mod, a modification would be the ECU. And I know you hate that, that yeah. you got to do that, but it would be an ECU because that makes it run clean. And then, uh, by the way, Yamaha sh- show brought to you by Yamaha. Your stock ECU is on the four strokes is amazingly tunable. Yes, and via the Power Tuner app, which is free. Actually, you don't even have to have a Yamaha. You can get the Power Tuner app. You can download it on your phone, and you can pretend like you're, <laughs> you're tuning your, your your ECU, even if you don't have a Yamaha. And you get really good at it. So when you do finally get up to the uh, the Yamaha, uh, a couple other companies: Taco Moto, Scott Sports, Climb, DDC. You DDC guy? No, you got you got what, what's your sprockets? Pro X. Pro X. Oh, they make good they make good sprockets. I was surprised. Yeah, they make a, they make tons of stuff. Uh back to my sponsors. Uh <laughs> Trail Tech, Fast Company, uh, you know, Flex Handlebars. Flex bars, just, not just, into that either. Spoke, spoke wrench is incredible. I've had my oh, yeah. over 20 years. Yep, that's a that's a good thing. Uh, seat that could concepts, be one of my best bolt, it was your I, I that that may be a thing that you haven't you haven't seen yet. It's on the list of bulletproof designs and of course double take mirrors. I use that to get this nice clean shave. Uh, double take <laughs> mirrors. They're also on my dual sport and adventure bikes. 
So, uh, okay. So your ECU is number two. Yeah. And then after that, and I think it would, to me, it would have to be controls so that you're happy with bars and grips. And so that would bars, grips, levers, that whole control thing. I don't like a stock Yamaha setup typically. And so that's one that kind of bothers me, but everything else and, and the stock KTM bars are too low. I feel like on most bikes. And uh, so the Hondas, Kawasaki's, Suzuki's, I'm pretty happy with most of those bikes stock, but, right. but the Yamaha and Kawasaki and KTM bikes, I tend to be not so happy with that feel and, and run the same barb. So I like to switch the barb in. Right. Okay. So I'm going to totally agree with you on the suspension thing straight away. I mean, that's probably, yeah, what? uh, yeah, easy, easy to do. Number one for me, number two is it's probably going to be the, I guess I want to just say, I'm just going to group it into ergonomics. So exactly what you talked about handlebars, levers, I'm going to go as far as like foot pegs, um, you know, grips, just all the things that you're, wherever you contact the motorcycle, you know, seats, just different things like that. Like that's the number two thing is like to make sure that you're the way where you touch the bike and everything kind of works out. Cause that's where we're all a little bit different. Um, I have little tiny fingers and small hands, so I can't go with larger diameter grips and I'm picky about this. I run flex handlebars on all my bikes because my wrists are bad. And so there's these things like that. And then I'm trying to think this, the, the third, the third thing, and I want to go with just protection. And, and it's funny because I see guys go way overboard with protection and some people just don't even acknowledge it. And so we're talking about like, whether it's skid plates or just radiator guards, or even when you're motoing, there's some things, you know, whether you're, you're, uh, protecting, you know, just the sides of your radiator as opposed to the front front of them in case they get they get knocked or hit. Um, I've seen, and it's funny because when you look at a we look at a true factory bike, a works bike, look at the 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 extra effort they go to to protect the radiator hoses, to protect the the different parts of the bike that could be you know hit that stuff that could cause a DNF, and and that's where I think a lot of guys kind of they go straight to exhaust system which I get that's like, that's more like exhaust systems right now. And graphics are kind of in the same category for me. And I like them. I like both of those things, but it, like there's other things that come in line a little bit uh, quicker, I believe. And well, there's some bikes okay. that feel, there's some, there's some bikes that I feel like can benefit a lot more from exhaust. Like the, the stock, uh, the stock mufflers on, say, like a KX450 or the, any of the Yamahas um, can be pretty obnoxious. And so getting the F, like the FMF on there just makes it calm down that sound and gives a better feel. And it's also a little bit less, it has a little more back pressure, so it is a little bit less likely to stall and just has a way better feel to it with a slip-on on some bikes that are out there currently. Yeah, I and I like the slip-ons that you that you can tune the end tip diameter. Like I know the FMFs because I'm really familiar with those. You can drop like slightly different end tip diameters, and it really it's it's like tuning an ECU. So I'm cutting I'm cutting the pipe right into your ECU comment, right? <laughs> so I it, and then and then especially when you're talking about the EPA, the quiet bikes, the compliant bikes, you know the KTM AXCs and stuff like this, or even some of the 
even some of the off-road bikes that come with way too loud of an exhaust, just like the just like the KTM, some of the EXCs that come with very restrictive exhaust, it's so easy just to put the slip on that's that, that happy medium. And so there, I think it's a an exhaust is a really good uh, a really good choice there. So okay, um, dealer or online? Oh, well, I do both, and because uh, and I you know. I see the benefit, but as most of us have found out, there's no one that, that hasn't found out that it's just a given that if you need something, it's typically not at the shop, especially OEM parts. You look up, you need this one little washer or whatever it is, they don't, they're not going to have it. And so the one thing I'll say is that most local dealers, it's two to three days, depending upon where you're at, to get the parts there, where a, a shop like Rocky Mountain, which if you click our link, you can go to anytime. Uh, you can go through our You can website. click my link too. Yeah. <laughs> you can click either of our links. Either one. It, it, every, this, this is what allow, it allows us to be here. Every other time you shop, you should click on Jimmy's and then every other time, and then click on, on mine. So the, yeah. so the benefit there is you can see real live inventory that it's in stock and you, you see how quickly you're going to get it and you can get it. Um, we do all those. I feel like a lot of the local shops have hurt themselves by not having good inventory that, that say the, the other ones have. So I think that's the biggest thing that hurts them with inventory on, especially OEM parts uh, because they sell those OEM bikes. They sell Hondas there. They should have a good selection of Honda OEM parts. And a lot of it is just, I think, I think a lot of it's just being lazy. They don't pay attention and order the parts They get ordered all the time. They're not stocking those parts and they should. Yeah, it's, it's remember, remember when we were younger, there was always the, the shop you went to had the good parts guy yeah. that you could ask questions to because you didn't have platforms like we have now right. where we can answer. You can go online now and you can, well, you can get a lot of bad advice really quick, but you can, you can find places where you can get good advice. And so you don't necessarily need that parts guy. Maybe the parts guy isn't such a valuable guy anymore. He's not getting paid what he should be. So, you know, who's who's going to decide what we need to stock for a, you know, whether it's a Honda 450 or, you know, a KTM 125, like what stuff do you need to, it takes a pretty experienced guy to know what kind of stuff that, you know, you would have to do this math in your head where now the online retailers, they see it, you know, they see how many parts are coming through the, through the things. And, and so I, I feel like, you need that. You need the brick and mortar shop there because where are you going to buy your bike from? Right. You need you need you need to have a shop. But if that shop wants to keep you coming back, and and maybe that's why you're you know I, I see guys that literally they've they've kind of forgot that they can't. The reason you're not going to get a deal on that bike is that may be the only time the dealer's ever going to see you. Right. And with the internet driving the price of everything down to zero. So we all know, oh, this shop is a hundred dollars more than that shop or whatever. But do you want to have a shop there next year to be able to buy your next bike from? <laughs> it's because like that, I said, maybe the only time you see it. That's a really good point. And so if, if that happens in your areas, you're going to have less, you have to drive further to the, to the shops. And, and there are, I come across a lot of people. We take it for granted in California and even out where you're at, that there's plenty of shops close. There's guys that live in lots of parts of this country that they're, you know, a Husqvarna shop or a Kawasaki shop or whatever is an hour or two hours. Beta shop. Yeah. Well, for sure. I'm, you know, I'm talking about the main brands that we're, that we're yeah. used to just those mainstays that we think are easy to find like a Honda shop. Some people have to go two hours away for, for a good uh, shop to even, even be able to do, get a bike from or, or, Parts. So that's one of the downsides there. 
Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's just, it's just part of this evolving, you know, culture media, you know, the way, just the way that media has changed, the way that socials changed, but keeping, you know, and I used to get mad when I would hear of someone going to like, they go to Chaparral, trying all the boots, figure out what size they were, and then go online to go to someplace else. And buy it for 10 bucks and less. Then, and, and, and yeah, and then buy there. And you're like, oh man, you just. I don't know. It, it, to me, it's just like that's a yeah, maybe a little bit of bad karma in there. <laughs> Not yeah, really sure. Well, while you talk about these parts, guys, I, I want to give I'll give a shout out to two. Uh, Langston's is a local shop for me, and there's a guy named Iden in there. Um, it's like I Dan I D A N, and yeah. he's a cool guy. He, he's really knowledgeable and really good. And there's a few people in there that are the same way. He's just the one that helps me the most, and and he's really good. And then down in uh, North County, San Diego, and and uh, Escondido is uh, Buzz is at ECC, and then, and he's been there for I don't know twenty plus years or whatever, and he's really sharp. And if I just ask him a prefix in a Honda partner, he knows what bike it is, obviously. And he's really good. Like you were saying, those guys that just really know if I'm trying to figure something out Honda wise or look up an out of stock part that's not available anymore. Like I'm working these old Hondas. He's, he's been real helpful at helping me, uh, you know, look at other dealerships throughout the country that might have it in stock. Yeah. Nothing like, like I said, nothing like that good parts guy that, that knows. And then we're on the, on our chat. I see it kind of scrolling up there. There's lots of people that are saying, Hey, yeah, like, you know, Bob Riker and Kenny Road at R&R racing, you know, and they're, they're just talking about different, you know, guys and, and same thing. It's if, if you have a good local shop, I mean, I would, I would go ahead and, you know, use them. Even if it cost me a couple bucks more and it maybe took a day or two, if I had that day or two, I would use that. If the, if the, of course the shop guy was good. I, I kind of experienced this in, in Vegas when I first moved out here to prompt, I went and they were, it was kind of like there were some of the shops were going through some rough times and everything. And I went in and I needed, I was on my way to Idaho and I wanted to have a spare clutch lever and literally the, it was for a KTM 500 and the guy's like, uh, you're making model. And I'm like, it's KTM 500. <laughs> they're, they're all the same. I mean, <laughs> and, and he's, he's like, no, I need to have the year making model. And it just went to the point where, and all they had in stock was the hard parts when it was like, it was like $700 instead of <laughs> like 30. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, I know the, the, the Brembo and the Magura stuff's a little bit pricey, but th- this thing was like ridiculous. And I'm just like, uh, do I really want to try to find another shop on the way there? And ended up, you know, getting a great thing. Yeah, Sportsman Cycle in Vegas is another great little shop. They're a beta dealer too, so I'm close to betas. <laughs> so lots of, um, yeah. And then and then and then if you if you're familiar with the motorcycle industry, everybody wants a deal. Yes, and everybody wants the cheapest. You know, it's it's not like other industries where you just go and pay your. You know, the price is the price. Here's my credit card. It's like, can I get twenty percent off? Right. So, um, okay. Best grips, Jay. Best grips, ODI lock-on grips. And that it took me a long time to get off of the uh, glue-on wagon, but I feel like the, with the new ones, they're not as, uh, you know, thick. They're able to get that same, you know, very similar diameter with some really good compounds and feels really good. So um, it's just a no brainer for me. And the new MIG 2.0s that we're running that just came out are, are amazing. And there's tons of cool colors and it's kind of a good way to customize your bike as well with a cool look. And the, the, the price, they got the price so good on those things that the, for 
the hassle of gluing on grips. It's not worth the hassle to, to glue things on and they come on and off so easy. And, and then especially the guys that aren't good enough to, they're gluing their throttle grip and messing up the, the, the whole <laughs> throttle assembly and uh, having the throttle stick open, all those types of things. It's a, really is good for, especially for those kind of people. Yeah. Hey, uh, it, I, I totally agree. The ODI grips are kind of like my, my go-to now. Um, a lot of times I remember when AME kind of, I think they might've started the, the lock on grip thing a long time ago. Um, Bob Rutten was out here. He was a Vegas guy, but, um, so I'm, I'm there with you on those grips. I like them cause they're smaller diameter and, and, uh, just, they seem like they last pretty good. And then when they, when they do wear out, it's so easy to take them on and off. <laughs> But I'm telling you, if you're like a dual sport or adventure guy, you got to check out these pro grip foam grips, the ones that all the rally guys run. Right. They're they've now moved on to my adventure bikes. They're a pain in the ass to mount, and you got to you know you got to be careful with them because if they the grip glue sticks on them, they stick halfway on, you wreck the set. <laughs> but they look like the lawnmower handle grips. But man, everybody laughs at them. But then you ride with them and. They're good, but yeah, ODI grips are. Uh, pretty, so the rally guys are running those. What brand are those? Uh, Pro Grip. Pro Grip. Okay. A company called Pro Grip. Yeah, it's an Italian company. And, and if you're, and they're, you're they're, riding for multiple days and long miles every day, you need something better on your hand. I I don't. I've never really put them on a like a like a um a trail riding bike because I don't think they I don't think they like have that. The extra grip grip, but I mean, we ran them on a rally bike. So the first time, and it's funny because every rally guy, Ricky Brabeck, Andrew Short, all these guys that are, when we all got our first real factory rally bike, they were on there and we're like, take them off, put real grips on. <laughs> and it didn't take long to, uh, we're back on these things and now. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that's cool. We use pro grips installed with alcohol says Baja bound adventures. So. Yeah, alcohol. I mean, it's funny because I used to actually install rubber grips with WD-40. Right. Back in the day. You know, they would slip right on. You just let them sit for 24 hours and they'd vulcanize. So, um, nice. best chain lube? Uh, is is oil. So, any type of oil. oil. <laughs> oil. Any type of oil. And so... And, to, and anybody that has had a, especially a KTM with a leaky countershaft seal, knows that their chain is no better <laughs> than at that time. And it's almost just the right amount, like until it starts to leak too much and it's all over. But uh, a leaky countershaft seal is just about the right amount of oil. And so just a uh, any type of oil is the best thing to use that I found. I think most chain lubes or the chain lubes that I've ever dealt with are too sticky and and I've actually watched, there's a really good guy that has a good YouTube that um, is more street oriented, Fort Nine, and he has huge following and he tested all these chain loops, all different ones and right. very scientific testing. And he came up with the same thing and I've already, that I'd already felt for years is that oil. And so we'll use W40 or any type of MPPL or any type of like lube after we wash the bikes, for instance, after that. And then if we can, we'll use oil and, and I keep it in a... I'll show you something like something like. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you my point of view on this one as we, as we go. Something like oh, yeah. this. So, so, is that a gear oil container? Yeah. And then, so and then you I, just drip it on and it works well. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's, I should really adopt this because that's a definitely a poor person technique. <laughs> that's a super good poor because I run all my used motorcycle oil. A lot of it. It's like chainsaw bar oil. Yes. And, and my chainsaw chains last for years. And so, but 
so I, this is interesting. So I actually like um, the, I'll use a lot of different stuff, but I've, I've kind of like, if, if I want to spray stuff on there, I like the Maxima chain wax and I've had decent luck with it not being in we're dry conditions. And I think it's good. The problem I have is if you're not perfect aim, that stuff gets onto <laughs> other things and my bikes all look really nice. And if it gets, because mine don't it's asking me how to get it off their swing arm in their hub and everything that gets on the spokes. Now I know your bikes aren't maybe necessarily as like, you know, your I spray it. Okay. I spray it underneath the swing arm and down. So it only hits the chain and goes down. If it misses, it goes on ground. And a lot of my bikes don't have linkages on them. So there's no linkage to hit and they're right. not spray paint in the side of the linkage. Right. And I'm only trying to get it sort of between the side plates and cover it. But yep. here's, here's another, here's a good tech tip. Um, you can steal this from me at any time. Just give me a little credit. I wash, I, I lube my chain when I'm done with my ride. So the, when the bike comes back to the truck or bike comes back to the house, that's when I lube my chain with chain lube or oil or whatever, yeah. you know, at that point I put it on there then, and then, and then the, and then it sets in there and it coats it. Then I wash the bike and then, and then the oil's gone in there and the oil keeps the water out. And then maybe after, you know, if I haven't, I, I would use like a water displacing kind of thing or a penetrant oil or something, but it's, it's all kind of a thing, but I noticed that if you lube the chain when it's warm and then it, and then it does what it's supposed to do, the lube keeps the water out and stuff when it's, uh, when it's not. So, yeah. The other key is when you, if you wash a bike is to use compressed air and try to blow things off, you know, like, especially as we spin the chain, we blow it off and, and trying to get water out of there. If it's there. Yeah. Or it could be blowing it in. We're, we're trying. <laughs> I run O-ring chains on most of my stuff. Yeah. We're going the opposite way. <laughs> Yeah, and we, so, do, we, do, uh, we do really good with chains. And I think the biggest thing is not having a sticky one on there. That's grabbing sand and dirt and working it in there. Totally agree. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, for sure. There's some there that, I mean, it was in the old days you wanted, you know, really sticky. So I remember the old PJ one black stuff right. that you would put it on there yeah. and you, you would start spinning. It looked like a giant black spider web. Like, like <laughs> your air filter oil, like air filter yeah. oil, you want that sticky thing. Right. You know? Oh, I didn't, I don't have air filter oil as a, as a, as a, as a topic, but we, I'll put that down. Put that one down. Uh, we have enough time. We, we, we got to end before 10 PM. Right. We we're, we got a few more minutes and we'll take a quick little ad break so you can um, get up and take a break, finish your sandwich. I know we cut into dinner there. Uh, best uh, while we're on the chain, what's the best chain? Now that I thought you might ask that one, but there's, there's so many good ones, honestly, but I will say this is, is that, on modern four strokes, so we'll talk trail bikes. They all come with a cheap chain with no O-ring. So an X-ring chain is like a, a diet O-ring chain is an X-ring. And it just, and, and so I think for most guys that are motocross is at least an X-ring chain because these four strokes, especially a 450, 350, 450, you're going to destroy chain and sprockets so quickly without a O-ring or an X-ring chain. They just, they just yeah. eat them up, especially with a full aluminum sprocket. You know, there's some brands out there that advertise very heavy, have tons of championships, but they don't hold up well. An aluminum rear sprocket on a 450 isn't going to last long. And, and so that's when I go back to like the sprocket you were showing or the Pro-X uh, steel sprocket. Th those types of sprockets, that added quarter quarter pound. I've, I've done some weight comparisons and it's like, you know, it's half of a burrito, you know. Yeah, to add. 
Half a burrito. That's the name of your new show. Half a burrito Wednesday morning show. So, so Jimmy, you should weigh TV. that. You should weigh that sprocket versus the same tooth sprocket on an aluminum, say, sprocket, and just go. Hey, what's the difference? I don't think it's, it's very drastic. You know. No, it's not much. And I mean, it's people go well. It's rotational mass and all this stuff like that. And even compared to some of the ones that are like the aluminum inner ring with the steel teeth. Yeah. This, this one's still – so this is the DDC. Uh, it's very similar to ones like the Dirt Tricks, and there's a couple different companies that are making a straw box. Like Sunstar makes a – theirs is actually pretty unique. The Sunstar looks like a like a Swiss cheese kind of thing with wavy, thin little teeth. I haven't seen that and one I've, yet. I've used, them, I've used them all, and I tell you what, like I've never – and you know how much I have? I've never worn one of these chain chain wheels out. Never. And you're using and O-ring I, chains. I still have O-ring, O-ring chains, right? Yep, O-ring chains. But we, the thing is, we're also riding in mostly dry conditions and right. stuff, and not like we're not riding in like that grit dirt they have in Oklahoma that will just wear anything. But um, yeah, I, I especially with the power of the of the 450s, and we have you know test bikes that we get with stock sprockets on them, and it's not like you know eight or nine rides before they're getting cupped, and you can actually see the teeth like literally you know warping a little bit and and stuff when you're really on them and. Well, while you're on that subject, what, one thing I'll say is that the stock KTM bikes as a whole, with the right. stock chain, the aluminum rear sprocket lasts a long time because it has a better stock chain. That stock chain on a KTM bike is so much better than, say, on a Kawasaki or on a uh, on a Yamaha or uh, or even a Honda. So the stock – Yeah, it are, seems like it seems like three or four years ago they were really, really bad. Yeah. And, and I would say that for sure um, I've, I've – because we've been testing a lot of Yamahas lately, and I'm I'm kind of surprised that they seem like they're lasting a little bit longer. The but for sure the KTM's um, have a little bit better quality chain, and that does make a difference. If the chain go, and you need to replace that stuff in in sync, yeah, for you, sure. know, you need to change those things together. If you got a worn out chain, you throw a new sprocket on it, and it's gonna it's gonna wear pretty quickly. So, uh, best graphics. Uh, decal works. It just, uh, and I've been with them for years, and they, they're great to work with. You can kind of design up whatever you want, and the stuff holds up really well and looks cool. And like you said, it's probably I tell people, and and I love decal work, and I think it looks awesome. But obviously, it's not something you should be doing if your clutch is worn out, if your tires are worn out, um, all those <laughs> types of things. I would hold off on graphics until you get those things fixed, and then get some cool looking graphics. It should be the last, last, the last thing. Yeah, you're dialed it's, in. It's funny because I, I can't, I can't even comment on this because I don't even know when the last time I put graphics on a bike right. was. I, I actually didn't even have, I didn't even have um, black numbers for my YZ125 before I went to Hangtown. So I actually just had some white ones. I just spray painted them black and put them on there. <laughs> I, I, but I forgot I needed numbers. Okay, I haven't really raced <laughs> for a long time. But I, I we when I was back at the magazine, we definitely used decal works on a time or two. But um, yeah, there, there it was. I used to uh, do stuff with a company called Power Sport Graphics, which was a guy back east. I don't think they're doing stuff anymore. But he would make me super bitch and custom graphics, and it is it is kind of a nice feeling when you're you do make your bike look look that good. And and a lot of people are. Uh, on the chat right now, just saying how good the the uh, the decal work stuff is. They've made a lot of custom stuff. Yeah, and it, we have a link, a discount link for that. If you click on our uh, link, okay, yeah. you have a link tree. So yeah. if you go to if you go to yeah. at Dirt Bike TV, yeah, yeah. Dirt Bike TV one, mm-hmm. 
or our website. And then there's same a- same address on the on the website. So if they don't want like the Instagram, they can go to the website dirtbiketv1.com and they can click on them there. Okay. So uh, with that, uh, I am going to, we're going to go ahead and take a couple minute break here uh, with our sponsor. So if, if you're watching this live, if you're on, uh, you're going to shut down the uh, Instagrams over here. Should remember that one that's running over there? And should we make a new one? Should we do a new one? Uh, If if you want to, if people are enjoying this and stuff, we can go ahead and do a second one. I'll jump back on it. Uh, But uh, if you want to just watch it live and comment in the chat and stuff like that, um, you can go over to at Dirt Bike Test on YouTube and or Facebook. We're live there right now. We'll continue live for the second hour of the show. And I'd like to thank uh, Jay. So here we'll take a couple minute break and we'll see you on the backside. What's up, Moto Buddies? Mike here from Taco Moto Co. What is the Taco Touch? It's the best service in the industry. Virtually 24-7 tech support via email or text. And it's like having a dirt bike doctor on call every day of the year, helping you fix your bike or recommend parts or setups for you. If you've ever received an order from us, you know that the Taco Touch extends to our fulfillment and our orders come with the coolest stickers that you've ever had, uh, buying parts from anybody before and a handful of root beer barrel candies. Um, All of our Taco Moto Co. branded components come with a no questions asked lifetime warranty. And we even extend out the warranty of other manufacturers, OEM and aftermarket parts where we can, sometimes for life. We test and tune endlessly and exhaustively and obsessively. We're trying to destroy everything that we can before you get your hands on it to look for weaknesses and to improve it or to make recommendations to the manufacturer. And if it's something that doesn't uh, meet grade, then we don't offer it on the store. Everything that we carry is something that we have personally used, tested, and ridden, and raced, and knows meets the, the high taco touch demanding standard. Go out and get some adventure. Welcome back, everybody, to this special edition. It's called the best edition of Tech Talk ever because we're talking about the best products known to man. Mm-hmm. Uh, lucky to have Jay Clark from Dirt Bike TV on. Uh, I've been working with Jay for a long time. A wealth of knowledge in uh, in this. If you ever want little tricks and tidbits of how to do things and advice on how to fix your motorcycle, check out, subscribe to his Instagram uh, account dirt bike tv and then you can search him on the internets as that as well so we've covered all the stuff so far suspension uh best aftermarket parts dealers versus online best tire best grips best graphics best chain we've almost agreed on everything pretty close not ecus not ec we don't agree on ecus we don't like i mean they're good for they're good for but practically everything else we need to uh we need to get a hot topic in here this one usually starts things up so uh jay best oil yeah well then i had an audio problem right there so let's start over with that question oh yeah the the best oil that's that's all that was always a hot topic yeah and um can you hear us yeah yeah i hear you good okay good so it's it's a tough one to answer because uh I, I work with and is sponsored, and Recluse has their own high quality oil. Who's who's your who's good. your oil sponsor? Let's disclose. I don't. Have, so oh, you don't I, have I one currently. With, well, I, I work with Klotz Oil, and I use their two stroke oil and contact Klotz. Yeah, okay. Klotz, great two stroke oil R fifty. As far as oil goes, you want to grab one, Donnie, down there. This is open that the door with a big D right there. 
Yeah, because because I don't I don't personally have a, an oil. Yeah, this an oil is, this sponsor. is what we've been using for over twenty years, and we use it in everything. <laughs> oh, you, you just you just lit the fire. <laughs> you just you just lit the. We haven't even said what it is, but everybody can guess. If you're listening to this on a podcast or something like that, send us <laughs> send us an, a message with what kind of oil you just think he held up. That's my favorite oil right there. Hey, hey. It, it in all honesty, and that's why maybe you need to watch this show live so you can see what we're talking about because there's some sometimes some important uh, information that goes unspoken. But uh, I, I also don't really have a an oil sponsor. We have people that help us out a lot of time. Hey, before we get uh, too far, have Matt uh, request us on the Instagram live, and we'll we'll join you. Have you guys join in again? Okay. Throw your well, phone I'm actually probably trying to try and yeah. do that. Oh, here you go. I see you're live. Yeah. I'm I'm here. So we'll have part I'm two. Come on. For those oh, that want to stay, want, oh, yeah, stay on the Instagram request. There we go. Send request. So we're 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 multitasking so we can get on uh, the Insta- so, so this, Instagram. This oil thing is going to cause a, a lot of problems. And I have used uh, <laughs> and uh, Reclus has a really good synthetic oil that's kind of a high end oil that they recommend for their clutches. That's really good. I just think for the cost and with the with the Rotella, how often you can change oil, which like on this YZ250F, one day at the track with a uh, with my, my son on it or anybody faster, one hour, one hour to an hour and a half, it's oil change time with whatever oil we run if we're at the track. But things don't hold very much oil. They only hold 840 cc's of oil. Um, so right. It's You're smoking that thing on a 250F, especially at a track like Glen Helen. So um, it's nice to be able to just, you can do oil changes at will and have fresh oil in there all the time. Yeah. And, and, uh, I have uh, Chris real, who's a petroleum engineer. You're familiar with Chris uh-huh. works here and, and, and he works, he used to own oil company, works with a lot of oil companies. You know what he says the best oil is? What's that? Oil. <laughs> have oil, have oil in your bike. That's generally the people that are arguing about this when they have a problem is because they didn't have oil in their bike, not, not the right kind of oil. It was less the oil than was necessary or so let's start with that. I think I, it's funny cause I did some tests where it was oil based and we were trying to feel performance differences in, and I've seen dyno numbers with different oils. I've seen all different kinds of stuff. And in reality, it was one of the hardest things I ever had to feel. I did feel differences in shifting depending on certain oils. There was some stuff like this, but the oil that you held up is very, very good oil, hard to beat. Sometimes I feel better when I put a good motorcycle oil in my motorcycle. You know, I say, okay, this is okay. But I've also put like STP 30 weight in my motorcycle because that's what a guy brought a case over to my house because it was sitting in a shop for 20 years. Right. HD 30. Oh, well, Perfect. that can go in the XR 100. It worked in the XR 100. It's going to go in the XR 400. It worked in there. Maybe it's in the Husaberg. I don't know. It's oil. So we can have the oil debates. Uh, I, I know there are definitely some oils that are better than others. I've seen, like I said, I've seen horsepower, dyno charts and stuff. I've seen oil analysis and I'm starting to see more people that are actually sending their oil into testing labs and getting the oil analysis done at different intervals. And some of these labs will actually keep track of your oil for you and different things and show where stuff is coming out of. And if you want to get that technical, but I haven't had an oil related failure in any of my 
all of my riding years other than, well, it was the company that Chris Real worked for. It was Duralu back in the day. We would, we would override their two-stroke oil. We would put too much strain on the motors for that particular oil. Um, and then the cases and cases that I had of it went in my KTM 200s and uh, some of my other, you know, YZ250s and stuff that I trail rode forever. Never had a problem with it. But racing it 10 tenths, okay, so we had a little bit of a problem. But yeah, oil, oil's oil's oil. <laughs> and, and there's some argument about synthetics versus, and that's a non-synthetic oil that we're running with the, with the Rotella. Some people, there's different opinions on what's better for the clutch plates. And that's a big problem is clutch plates and wear and what's going to glaze and so forth. And so, and, and all I can tell you is we have really good results over the last 20 years with that. And, and we have tested the, uh, the recluse oil on both. They have two different ones and they've both been very good. I haven't had any problems with either one. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I totally agree. It's, you know, it's all good. So good. They got, got rid of that controversial one. Air filter oil. Air filter oil. Hey, Donnie, grab my one. Be, be careful. Use a rag on it. Because this one's kind of fun. You're going to like this. <laughs> it le- sticky. It's sticky on the outside. It's that bottle right there by that trophy. You should bring over my. So I'll go ahead and trophy. go with mine. You my really favorite use. air filter oil is a, made by a company called Rock Oil. Right and it's it's synthetic water washable air filter oil. They call it eco foam right now. And the cool thing about the the this stuff is it literally washes out with water. You 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 put it in just like normal, and when you're done with it, you wash it out with. It's like the filter is brand new out of the bag with no oil in it. It is not sticky, and. I, I this stuff won a shootout we did at Dirt Rider a bunch of years ago. They've changed the name from Swaff to Eco Foam. Uh, I prefer it in the pour in, not the spray on, because yes. it just seems like it spreads a little bit easier. It's not as sticky as some people would like it. And like Flynn says, rock oil is hard to get. There's a guy up in Northern California who will who the importer and he'll send it to you. Um, there's a few places that are starting to stock it because I haven't met anybody who started using it. Who isn't still using it? Um, and and, uh, and why is it hard to get? They just got poor distribution in the U.S. They're, they're poor distribution. Yeah, it's just not. It's just not like a, a normal thing. It's it's like I said. You can get it, but you got to work for it a little bit. <laughs> well, it sounds like I need uh, to try that oil because I uh, I haven't tried that. Is, and and people go well. What what if you wash your bike and what if you ride through a river? And it's like yeah. Uh, if you but you have to agitate it. So the funny thing is is. You know, take when your filter's all dirty and stuff, take it out and spray water at it for a second and see what comes through. Like dayglow green water will come through, but the dirt doesn't go through. If you agitate it, you can rinse the oil out. But the one thing is, is there's a lot of alcohol in it. So it's a little bit like no toil in the sense that, uh, that, that if you're going to put your filter in and leave it in for six or eight months, Probably not a good oil because it will break down the foam and it will stick. That's where an oil oil is. If it's going to be in there for a long time, or you're really concerned with the, you know, the 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 dirt getting through for some reason. Like if you're going to plug your filter, run a really good petroleum based oil because at least it'll plug and plug. It won't figure out a way to suck the dirt through if it if you're really dirty and plugged but yeah, and that's that rock mine. oil that's mine. you've been running that a long time and 
you've never sucked dirt through it. And you write in some silty stuff. Uh, you know, I know. Yeah. So I, the only, the only time it's been sucked through is two, two times. One, when the kid that was doing my filters didn't do it properly, okay. you know, left, left dry spots in there. Like at, camouflage looking. Yeah. Yeah, it will. It was, it, it was, he just missed a, 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 a seam, like an edge on one side. He right. just, it was, and it was in the filter literally pl- like we were riding through silt beds and it pretty much plugged almost all the way around the rest of the filter. And then it started sucking it through there. It was able to get it through there, but not its fault. And sometimes in really dusty stuff, you will get that, that, that little, that really fine layer in the, in the inside where there's a little, you can see a little bit of stuff has gone through, but the filter almost has to plug in order to do that. You should have changed it anyways, but I haven't had any failures that I would attribute to that oil at all. I rode my bike into a beaver dam and <laughs> the bike was underwater for at least 30 seconds. The airbox was completely filled up and stuff. And I, and I took it, I took it out got it out and we had to pull the air filter out and wring the air filter out. And of course you're washing, kind of washing it at that point to, to get yeah. the oil out, but it was still pretty wet. I didn't, I didn't add it. I didn't ring it and really ring it. I just, uh, got it, uh, pretty, you know, got it most of the water out and I figured off oh, it sucks a little more water in here. It's just higher compression. There's already plenty of water in the bottom end. Uh, but I ran that filter for two days because I didn't have access to another filter or anything and no dirt went through. And this was really dusty up in Idaho and Utah. That's cool. Well, I I wish we had a link to the, to the stuff for the rock oil. Um, Matt, if you want, maybe if you have a second to search it and pop it up there in the chat, but yeah, give it a a try. And then Matt, send it to to me as well. So I can see, see, uh, and we can see if we can check it out because you'll see from that, what what the oil I show you, you'll see that I don't have any hard ties to this company. Yeah, you had a. Here's the oil I use. I I know which one that is. Right, that's the stickiest stuff you can get. Now I will say this. So now recently, I've been working with Hoodie. He's a cool, <laughs> cool guy. So this is the oil I use, and uh, Hoodie is a longtime mechanic. He's uh, he was Rhino's old mechanic, right? Rhino's old mechanic for years, and a good guy. Yes. He's got a business down in Marietta where everybody has a shop down by KTM. And he has this MX filter service and he does, he used to be DT1 filter service. Now it's MX filter right. service. He filter, he services anybody's filters. So I went in there, we were check, he uses a bit of this oil mixed with some other brands of oil. And he, he, and he has a, an agent to dilute it down a little bit. And, and so far we've been running that oil on some of the filters that he's prepped for us. He's washed filters. He has a good filter service for guys. So if guys are right. sick of cleaning filters, they can send him like, 10 filters at one time in a box and he does them for like five bucks a piece and they come back in the bag ready to go. It's really a cool thing. Prepped and ready to go. And, huh. and they're better than those disposable filters that would come with a really thin oil sometimes. And that was, I wouldn't trust those, you know? So this is what right. I would so, trust. So, those, ride. so my experience with the disposable filters are if you're kind of going to the track and you're not really putting a lot of stress on your filter, uh, they're fine. They'll, they'll do their job. But if you're really in, in extreme conditions and stuff like that, and the, the, they tend to flow a little bit better. I've seen dyno charts where they, they make more power because they're flowing more air and it's just kind of, right. uh, so it, it's just kind of a thing. And then they sell that, uh, Rottweiler. Yeah. Rottweiler sells the rock oil. Oh, cool. So good, good for them. I'm only finding the aerosol. Yeah. Or I'm only finding the aerosol version of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I, I prefer the pour on stuff. Yeah, as we're well, we're but, definitely uh, not aerosol fans. We, and that, that would, 
you're, you're, we, we keep a bucket. We have a good video showing how we would do it and have a bucket and completely saturate it and wring it out. Yep. And that's important. Yeah. And, and yeah, so that, that's a, that's a, that's good to, in, in your video, you're using that same bottle, right? Yeah. And that's one where you can't, yeah, it. where there's no logos on there. And uh, that's for a few different reasons, but uh, some people are. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. They don't think we have a lot of value. So, like, okay, so if we're going to buy the oil, it's going to come with no logo logos on there. I I know where you're at. Okay, so <laughs> I used to work in a magazine. Yeah. So <laughs> we do buy plenty of stuff, and then the stuff we buy, we don't usually promote it. Other than that other oil I showed, uh, which is you know available at Walmart and Costco and stuff, you know and. Yeah, <laughs> stuff. So, but you're not using that in air filters, and and we get that. A que- I've had a lot of questions about that. Why don't we just use motor oil in filters? These guys want to use motor it's, oil, and uh, yeah, it's not sticky enough. It's it's definitely not it's sticky. Not, You'll suck right through it. Enough. People don't realize that the oil is is really to prevent dirt from getting past through there, and you need something that's really going to grab that dirt. And where we really find it for us, what we writing we do is in the winter time, believe it or not, is in the sand tracks that are that are really nice and wet, but then we dig down and we get into this powdery and all these turns are becoming that sand, that that fine sand is coming right through, and that's the time that we'll actually end up sucking dirt more so than just a regular Glen Helen uh, you know, days. Yeah. Uh okay, now off the controversy, uh best aftermarket plastic. Uh, plastic. Ugh. It's it's all good and bad, and and MX Plastics is Decal Works company, and they have kind of a, a variety of Polysport, UFO, and different things. Uh, all the companies have pros and cons. I don't know that I found one that's just perfect on everything. Uh, um, mm. And knowing some stuff I know in Italy, that's where a lot of the stuff's made. For three of the main brands, there is they do share some molds. Uh, some of the brands right. uh, will will actually share molds and stuff. So because the mold, you could imagine the people that are used to mold is very expensive to make for a big thing like a front fender. It's very expensive, and so if they can split some of that, and you hey you make the rear fender, we'll make the front fender, and so forth. So I honestly don't know if there's really a best. Uh, I guess I could say that the stock plastic is usually obviously really good and fits the best. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then yeah, back to this. It, it's really interesting what KTM did this year is they locked in, they have the stock plastic and they locked in like three colors. So if you get a KTM, there's black, white, and gray, maybe I think it is uh, available for your bike. And um, they were really sticking to that. No one was going to, and then enough companies have challenged that and have now making their own plastic, but we ran some yeah, of it's, stock I, plastic. Stock that KTM plastic. thing was kind of, that KTM thing was interesting. That caused some ruffles. You're right. Uh, you know, they they literally they 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 pat- patented their their plastic and their shapes and stuff like this. And and uh, and they're and the thing is is they 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 have so much power because they buy so much OEM from these companies. Right. And now they're preventing the company. They want to sell it. They want to they want to sell plastic for a few years. Kind of like they've done the same thing with some of the hard parts like pipes and things like yes. that. FMF makes the pipes and the FMF can't sell you yes. a KTM certain thing. And and it's just a brand. Again, it's just like like the dealers. Everybody's trying to figure out this this business model and uh, see how it goes. Let's see. Uh, and Countershocks wants to know if you bolted on the Countershocks I gave you, Jay. I haven't are got those. Are those those are those inertial dampers that go up on the forks? And you got me a new one that you can do without pulling the fork leg off. And it's been sitting on my counter here for you know. I want to. I want to. I want to try that. On. I talked. I, I talked to 
I talked to him at the show in Vegas and yep. I'm and, like, and I went we to the same show. And, and that was the, I yeah. used to, I used to run something similar to that on my rear swing arm back in the supermoto days. I, I can imagine. Was, it was amazing. Uh, so I, I understand the concept and the physics on that. That'd be something uh, we don't want to get in there. Best piston for non OEM rebuild parts. Non, yeah, well, I work for three piston companies, Pro X, Weisco, oh. and, and JE. They're all one, you know, family of brands and they kind of have pistons for all different type of use, you know. So stock pistons in most bikes are are really good nowadays, right? Um, but yep. if you're going to do any modifications, even to a two-stroke, like if it's serious modifications like that YZ250 we were talking about earlier, um, most builders all want to have a forged piston of some sort in there. We have the Weisco forged piston in there. It's a lot stronger, more durable, less likely to crack under a serious use. So that that's where an application like that's really good. Where for the average person just changing a piston, a cast piston is just fine, like say like the Pro X is. And then in the four-stroke side of things, like for racing applications, there's not a single there's not a single team that you see racing motocross that is running a stock piston. They're, they're all running a aftermarket race piston built by a, t a company like Weisco or JE or there's some other companies out there. They're all running a version of a uh, forged race piston of some sort that's that's changing the, the compression of the engine, but also the squish. They're setting it up exactly how they want. And all the valve pockets are right where they want. Um, they're specifying exactly where each of those is to help them build that motor just perfectly. So um, that is a little history on pistons and the race bikes right now yeah so 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 you're happy with any of the the I, I mean i've run pro x and a bunch of rebuilds i've done lately and had really good luck with it unfortunately like i usually rebuild them for people yeah and it's like hey we're going to kind of monitor this bring it back with 80 hours and they, they go ride it and then they sell their damn bike right it's like gosh you just <laughs> you wrecked my you know uh, like but i i have two or three bikes right now that have piston durability tests going on in them and and uh, I, unfortunately, on some KTM 500 stuff, I had a little bit of bad luck. And then there was a shortage of pistons. So I couldn't, couldn't. Matt, you remember when we had some bad luck? Who caused, who caused the bad luck? My bad luck? Yeah, yeah. Well, my piston bad luck and my KTM 500. Oh, I thought that was a valve bad luck. Well, yeah, but the valve, it actually falls out and goes into the piston. <laughs> <laughs> uh, durability test ended, no fault of the piston. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> anyways, uh, I, yeah, I'm, um, I, I, lately I haven't had any, you know, I remember there was, there was times when there were certain brands that had like got bad reputations back when I was racing motocross in the, in the, the late eighties, early nineties. And, and I think it was just some quality control things, but boy, I tell you what, if, if you, you know, it's just like anything you see on the internet. If somebody has one, if, if one KTM frame, the steering stem tears off, right. Cause, cause a guy, shot his bike off the side of a track and it head on another guy's bike and it broke. Right. And that picture gets in the internet. You think every single KTM frame is made out of clay. Right. Right. And this and, is and the, the same piston, thing when you see. And the, the piston takes the brunt of whatever happens. Just like you said, there was a valve problem, the valve problem went into the <laughs> piston. And so anything that goes wrong in an engine, the piston is usually the one that's going to show it, especially in a two stroke. So if you have, you know, jetting or detonation problems, the piston's going to take it. If you have an improper circlip installation, the piston's going to be the, the, you know, the, yep. the blame, so to speak. So the piston's going to be the blame for that with regardless of what piston they're running. So that's something you deal with, unfortunately, in this day and age, uh, you know, people are quick to blame, you know, other people and other things besides themselves, right? 
Yeah. Well, that's, that's one of the, the things I always go back to when somebody's saying, hey, Jimmy, is my bike does this. And I'm like, well, what was the last thing you touched? <laughs> what was the last thing you worked on? And we'll just, we'll just follow it right back from there, and we're probably going to end up at the same place. So um, it's kind of important to uh, acknowledge that. But, yeah, uh, they're, so you're, you, you're, you're never – so you're rebuilding all these kind of things. Have you ever had anything come back with, okay, the piston was the problem? No, not not in the, you know not in years. Nothing. We yeah. haven't had had any failures or anything. Um, any of the problems we've had is we you know got mixed up and brought the wrong gas for the two stroke. You know, and <laughs> things things some things like that have happened. But that's about it. Yeah, and uh, no, any any. Do you have a particular circlip that you like? The, the ones like, that usually it, always run the ones that come with the piston. Comes with it, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah the, the kick, there's there's are difficult to install, right? Yeah, I was, was going to say there's some that are really difficult to install, and other ones that are. I mean, I almost think they should send on some, especially the, some of the two stroke ones. They should send you like fork circlips, right? Because one's going to fly away, which actually isn't good either. Because I've seen them fly away into the bottom end, yeah. And then you know, then it's like, okay, we got to turn this bike upside down and shake it, or run it, you know, fish a magnet around in there. Yeah. Uh, or if it flies around, you don't know where it went, or you, you know, I've seen guys get a little aggressive with them and just bend them too much. Yeah. And then it's like, well, that's going to come out. That's no, no, you can't put that back together. No. No, I highly <laughs> recommend if you're, especially if you, you know, if you're working on your kids, especially 125 and undersized pistons, those small circlips. Uh, I would recommend when you order a piston to get get some extra clips and have them around just for those reasons because. If you bend it a little much, you're not gonna, you're not gonna want to not put it back together. You're gonna want to finish it so you guys can go ride the next day. So that's that's a good point. Get an extra set of piston clips. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're getting we're getting closer to the, some of the the, the heater questions the, here. The uh, so yeah, so this show, if you're just kind of tuning in, you're over here on the on the Instagrams. We are talking about the best of everything, and we're gonna get to the best bike of all time. That's our that's our last question. But uh, the one of the questions I had written here was, how does a regular Joe go about getting his dirt bike rebuilt? Rebuilt by who? Like to build it like for a well, project or just rebuild it? Well, I mean, just like because you know you're, you're you're constantly getting questions and. I'm getting questions all the time and I'm just kind of curious, like, do they, should they do it themselves? And if it's above their skill level, what, what's the next, where's the, where do you turn? Cause well, I see a lot of, I see definitely see a lot of bad advice, but our, uh, AZ Rida says, Jay, thanks for all your help. I watched your videos and rebuilt my 07 CR 450 R and it starts first kick. So that's, besides, cool. that's a good bike. That's a good bike too. Uh, I don't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I see people just take these piles. Well, they're usually leaned up against the shop fence, you know, outside there, and they take their bike into the shop, and then the, you know they charge you two hundred dollars to diagnose it, and then it's going to be six thousand dollars to fix. Right, and that and that's so the re, here's here's the reality of those older bike, you know, rebuilds or whatever is if you can't afford to do it right, then then you probably shouldn't do it. And so and that would mean if you have an uncle or a brother or somebody, uh, you know, a dad or somebody that can help you with it, uh, and maybe a, a pro mechanic. A lot of times in your local area, there can be a mechanic who's working with a local pro rider, and he wants some work to do on weeknights or whatever that would be a good guy to enlist and you can pay him a, a little bit to go work on it with you. That would be something you could do. And and that's the only way it's going to financially make sense to rebuild something like some of these older bikes is to have somebody that can maybe 
hold your hand a bit for the first bit, get you going through the heavy lifting, maybe to help you get the engine done, uh, obviously someone to help you with your suspension. And then the rest isn't that difficult, especially on a two-stroke. You're just putting things back together. and You can find plenty of YouTube videos showing you how to you know, grease the linkage, change bearings, steering stem, those types of things. And, and Donnie's just reminded me whenever we, he, he just took his bike all the way down to the frame, pulled the engine out and got the frame painted on a brand new bike. And you just take pictures and videos nowadays with your phone uh, through the entire process. So that that's on a newer bike. So you remember, remember how it goes back together. So, or what? Yeah. It's, it's like you yeah. take all the guesswork. Well, we, out we, we, we do it in our sleep. That's the problem. It's just it's just something you've been doing forever. But yeah, I like your I like your idea about going to try to find you know find a you know mechanic that works with a with a pro rider or something. Uh, but I think you know when it when it comes down to it, it's how much does you know if you're going to start having to pay for labor, you know normal shop labor, yeah. whatever deal you have on this bike or how, however broken it is. I don't, I think it's going to kind of end up being like you know bad <laughs> bad deal. You're not going to end up making any. <laughs> you know, coming up, uh, coming out ahead of the game, not at all. you know, by taking it to a shop and paying full, full, full rates. But I think, you know, definitely a lot of people do it. And I, and it's almost like I see where car dealers are, you know, with all the electronics and stuff, you, they force you to come back to the dealership. They're trying to make it so that like the independent guys uh, can't do that. Luckily we're not there with the uh, motorcycles, but I, I get a lot of, well, people ask me, Hey, can you work a re, you know, you have a shop. Can you work a rebuild yeah. on my bike? I'm like, no, <laughs> no, that's not, I, that's I've, not seen, I've seen your bikes and you don't, you do not have the time or the resources to be working on. Somebody I just else's keep bike. my stuff. I keep my stuff running. Everything I have pretty much runs. Right. And that's the, you know, that's a, that's a thing, but like with 70 bikes, you're kind of like, it's always something that's uh, going on to keep all this stuff. Uh, keep the, keep it afloat. It's gotta be overwhelming. But yeah. It, it, it and I, and I want more, <laughs> you know, I see, I, I actually, I really need to, I need, really need to start getting rid of, uh, to the, some of these things. I got to, I, I can't ride all the adventure bikes that I have and, and nor do I want to at this point. Uh, but yeah, it, it's how it, the, the thing is, is like, at what point, you know, you see, Oh, I'm going to just get this used one. It just needs the engine rebuilt and, you know, basket case bike. And I even, that's how Matt kind of started helping me. I'm, he had a he bought a basket case bike from another friend and we tried to do a rebuild story and did that bike ever get rebuilt? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bike in a box. It's on uh dirt, it's bike, a dirt test. bike test. Yeah, yeah. The full series is done. Yeah. And what what was the what was the uh the the lesson learned? Costs more to rebuild a bike in the box than it does to buy a new one? Yeah, yeah. But the whole point was I wanted to rebuild it. I wanted right. the experience to tear it all down and put it all back together. I did it wrong a couple of times putting it back together. And and there we go. That's that's the that's the learning process the learning experience that that this is this is the other problem is that bikes now are getting so good that they don't really break you don't have to fix things and and a lot of times they you know people are like well i'm, I'm thinking about going and getting one of these chinese mini bikes and i'm like that's a really good idea especially for your kid and here's why jay because you're going to take it and you're going to break it and you're going to have to figure out how to fix it and at that point you're going to decide whether you really like motorcycles enough you're invested in them to go and figure out how to fix that thing because even though the guy at the chinese motorcycle shop said oh when it breaks you just take it to the honda dealer they have all the parts for it yeah (laughs) which is not the case you you know and and then you learn how to work on stuff and then when and then when you get one of these newer bikes because you're really into it and you you upgrade to something that's good and you never have to work on it then you do actually know how to work on it it's a it's a good deal well that's that's a good way to look at it 
<laughs> yeah, not the not necessarily. It's try to make it's try to make a good uh, solution out of a bad problem. So look at the bright side. Yeah, um, we talked a little bit about suspension, but like the best suspension modification. I guess I would just we just say spring it's correct spring rate would be the best one. But are there any like like you know, people do coatings and they get different pistons and then they get full works level shocks. Where where are you no. on this? No, I'm not there. Uh, I'm I'm like as close to stock just rebuilding it and revalving uh, for specific needs and in springs. I am a fan of uh, spring conversions in most of the air forks and the KTM for, uh, you know, I, I typically mainly cause I ride a lot of other bikes, the Japanese bikes that all have good spring forks. Most of them, especially the Yamas come with such good fork stock. And when you hop onto an air fork bike, you know, if you get somebody to help you tune it and everything, it's really good. And then the next day you go out, it's just not as good no matter what you do. And so to me, spring, spring conversion, I don't think you need cone valves or anything, but a spring conversion of some type in your KTM. Uh, Racetech has some great ones. They have a great single spring that's not that expensive, and then you can get dual spring conversions. There's many of them out there, uh, different options with the WP6500 kit or the or the uh, technical touch kit. They're all really good, and that's the only that's the only high end thing I'd find as far as coatings. Uh, there's and I've talked to enough guys out there. That none of that stuff is really going to make any difference for any of us to ever notice, um, other than it looking cool. And in many cases, right. it doesn't last as long. It's more likely to get chips and, it, and more likely to wear through with those those types of coatings than your just your regular standard forks. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm a little bit. I differ from you a little bit. I actually do like the air forks. I've had you know, like the the first round of air forks were a little too complicated. I mean, oh, yeah. shoot, yeah, the yeah. Kawasaki yeah, had yeah, that was terrible. Three different chambers on a on a single fork, but uh, the the current KTM ones, I actually I actually like those. They're they're pretty good. Not not as simpler as as is just kind of consistently good as like the Yamaha forks have been. Yamaha just never changed. They just kind of just kept the, kept the thing and everything kind of came back around, I think. But I, I do like the light front end feel that the, that the air fork can give you, but uh, it's uh, yeah, I, I can understand that, you know, for some people, I, th I think it just got like a kind of, for sure, it definitely got a bad rap in the beginning. And then, and then that just carried over. And I don't think it ever really, ever really uh, recovered. Yeah. So, and, but, and but Travis, I, Travis Langley quickly uh, says, is Jimmy shirt available to buy somewhere? It will be at least by show 200. Uh, we're going to have a special uh, order of these. I've been talking about it for a long time. Uh, we will, we will get that uh, out there. I started, actually, I sent you an email about the forum or replied to it today. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to work on this, but yes, we will have this shirt available. And this is a, it's the only way I'm going to be able to eat dinner tonight is people start buying these shirts or I'm going to have to eat this taco on my shirt. Right. And I would, I would get one of those shirts as well for, uh, to wear on my podcast. Oh, and, and, and Donnie wants one too. So we'll, we'll wear burrito my... on burrito Wednesday morning, right. breakfast burritos with Jay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, favorite tool of all time. Oh, that, that's pretty easy. I think I knew you were going to ask this. Let me grab this. Oh, you did. See, you cheated. I'll go ahead and, you know what? No, I keep a I don't, few of these. I, I should have. I, I wrote tool. this. I wrote, I wrote this, uh, it's a counter shaft holding tool, isn't it? Yeah. It's just so simple and cool. And it's just like hand, they're handmade. The guy cuts them out and bends them and he stamps them 
it's sprocket stuff and he hand stamps them like boom, boom, boom. And it's just such a cool tool because you don't have to have, you don't have to have somebody holding the rear brake or anything. And you're not putting any, any stress on your transmission to put a front uh, sprocket on and it, and it can fit all these different sizes of front sprockets just by moving these little, these little pins. And so uh-huh. it's a 13 and I keep, believe it or not, I, I actually am such a baller. I bought two of these just for my shop here and I keep, a 13 and a 14 pre-set up, so I don't even have to move my pins. I, I have two All right. ready to go. And I actually, yeah, just bought them. And the guy, I think he makes them in, in like North County, San Diego or something. And there's some shops that sell them. It's it's the coolest tool. And I, obviously, I have lots of tools and plenty of I, really I was, good quality oh, so tools. Here's 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 the thing, Jay. Is as I when I wrote this question down because I know yeah. you're working on this all the time, and I was like, I was kind of in my head. I'm like, going, he's gonna pick the tire stand. <laughs> Had to pick the tire because you you pimp the tire stand pretty hard. Yeah, yeah. The the tire stand is huge. I mean, we get emails every day, probably four to six, and some days up to ten or, or more of guys all over the country wanting the all over the world wanting the the plans so we had a really good follower who drew up the stand plans which i had done a video showing how to i measured everything and just showed it on a video and then he drew right. it from those plans from that video he drew it all out and we've had and we get tons of people and we post uh, you know daily weekly of p- these different stands throughout the uh, world and it's really cool to see uh, all the all the different places and what's the main reason we like this stand is because it's really heavy duty. People go, why don't you sell them? It's just not practical because the way we that I like them with the, the strong platform for your feet to stand on, it needs to be heavy. It'd be too impractical to ship and it'd be too expensive. Right. So do you, do you have a link or any place for that for that countershaft sprocket tool we asked in the chat? I don't, but if they email me, we will. And maybe I'll uh, send it to Matt. I don't even know. I just, uh, I yeah. actually bought it from a shop, ECC. Uh, Buzz knows where to get these at, at ECC. So that okay. that's what's that's it, where I got. What's it? What's it called? Sprocket stuff, and it's called Sprocket stuff. Uh, yeah, and I think it's called the Sprocket tool. I think it's very. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they, they they got a really fancy name for the it. That's, 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 that you hardly even know what it is. Right. It's called the Sprocket tool, and it says patent yeah. pending. Uh, so they, you know, uh, anyway, it's really cool. I don't know if Rocky. Mountain, <laughs> I think for a time Rocky Mountain was selling them. I think he has a hard time keeping up on making these, but producing them. yeah, it's just really a cool tool. And it's just cause it's, I like that. It's a small guy making them out of his, I'm sure out of his house, he's making these things and, right. and they're really cool and they work so well and makes doing a sprocket as front counter shot sprocket by yourself really easy. And you don't, you don't feel like, Oh, I'm not ruining my transmission. You don't, you don't have to have your bike. I, I don't have it in here. I have it in neutral when I do this and it works awesome. Yeah. So oh, I, hey, uh, so I, let me see this right here. So if you click on our link or Jimmy's link, Rocky Mountain has them available right now. Oh, Rocky Mountain has them. Yeah. Awesome. So they're you. in abundance now. So you can go yeah, there. Click on, click on the, uh, one of our links and, uh, and we'll get a little, little chunk. It does definitely helps us out. Hey, this show would not be possible with the help of a lot of Tech Talk Taco Tuesday sponsors. Um, we have Amazon and Rocky Mountain links that are on our website, dirtbiketest.com. And of course, you can always support me personally by going to jimmylewisoffroad.com and then learning how to become a better rider. Because in all these modifications that we've talked about tonight, the best one that you can do for your motorcycle, the absolute best modification you do to your motorcycle without fail is to put a better rider on top of it. 
And I, I know how to, I know how to help you out with that. If you're just beginning, we have a beginner rider series and then we'll be starting up classes again, uh, in the fall when it's nice and cool. So come out and visit us. Uh, I know a couple tricks and techniques to make you a better rider. So I, I, the, so the tire stand was my guess. And then I thought, Oh, he's got to have some, <laughs> some other kind of, kind of tools and things. Uh, I've always been a big fan of like a lot of motion pros, uh, tools, different things they have. Uh, Chris Carter was an awesome guy, uh, really supported a lot of stuff in the, uh, in the industry. Motion pro. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of the, uh, the MP tool, the little MP tool that I carry with me, uh, when I yep. ride, it's just a little pouch with a zipper with this thing. We have a, we have a test of it up on dirt bike test. And then there, there's these other guys that a bunch of episodes ago, they made this other tool. that's like a T handle with the, which it's got a magnet inside of it and the, and the fittings pop into it. And it's in, it's on my Tenere right now. So I don't have it in the shop, but the, there's a lot of cool tools, but back to the tire stand. I have done a few tire changing videos lately and I just basically set up a camera and then I just I've seen them. raw dog, drop down on my knees, drink a beer and change a tire. Uh, and, and I don't use lube. Um, uh, sometimes I don't put baby powder in it. Sometimes I'm changing mousse without a stand and in the background, there's a Rabaconda and there's another tire stand back there. And I just do it using hand tools. You know, sometimes it's vice grips on the rim, you know, it's just stuff that everybody has in their garage. And it's like, yeah, we have all the special tools, but maybe you don't. And it's, here's, here's how you can do it with, you know, three tire irons and a couple screwdrivers, you know, to keep the bead down with the moose or whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I do like tire stands though, though, <laughs> but I don't, I don't always use them in the videos. I should probably, if you saw me using a Rabaconda, it looked like a, a, oh, we talked about this before. What is it when a bunny rabbit does a what? Oh, I the, think you're thinking the, about monkey with a football, a monkey with a football. <laughs> That's sometimes me using a tire stand. I'll have to work on getting a so, tire stand made for you. Yeah, a good a good one, right? Yeah, and the, the Rabaconda is good for the uh, dismounting mooses, and we do use one of those for dismounting mooses. Hey, I will say yeah, on, tool, it, on it, tools, but Motion Pro is awesome on tools, and so a couple two of the coolest tools that they have lately are any of the blind bearing removals are just so cool. Like for wheel bearings, instead of having to yep. knock out and get started with a punch. Getting that blind tool in there to pull that first wheel bearing out is awesome. And then and they also have these dowel pin removing tools. That's really cool if you have a lot of cases and cylinders apart like we've had for our CR projects. Is right. These dowel pin things. There's something so simple, but you, you can mess with getting a dowel pin out of an old cylinder for like an hour. And and this this tool makes it so easy. So those two are two cool Motion Pro tools that we like a lot they're, on the research. I remember when I got their cylinder stud tool, removing tool. Yeah that was another one that like was just game changing. It was just such a cool thing. But I mean, if you, if you want to get a good specialized high end tool, they have something uh, that will, that will fit your needs for sure. Yeah. And Mark Daniels is right. The, the bead buddy is one of my number one tools. I have three of them right there. With my tire changing stand there. Is, is that, is that the one that holds the, the, the bead down in the dish? Yeah, it's it the does, one that hooks on the spoke. It does what the vice grips do. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. I didn't know because because they have another tool that that's a bead breaking tool. It's these two tire irons that wedge together, 
and yeah. it pops the bead. It's mostly for street bike tires or right. you know, adventure bike tires that have a bead lock on them where you can kind of put it in there and just squeeze them together and pop it down. So I carry those uh, out on the trail because the, the, the cheap solution is to use your kickstand to break the bead. So you have your one bike that has a flat tire and then you, you bring your other bike over and put the kickstand into the bead and then lever the bike up. It's kind of hard to do when you take your wheel off and then you have no wheel on your bike to use your own kickstand. Uh, I've done it before <laughs> out on the trail, but, uh, so. I would just ride see. that bike back to the truck and then it would be off the bead by the time you got back. Oh, your truck isn't 220 <laughs> miles away. Oh, yeah, Jay. That's bad, that's I, bad, like the, that's the, bad karma the, being the, 220 miles this, away from me. Well, it's it's you know I'm going to the other state. I want to go to the other state to go to go. That's what adventure bikes are for, right? Uh, and then and then you know at the track, I just I go look for Jay. Actually, Jay does you know he shows up at the track and he'll change your tire for you if you're a magazine guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never let you change my tires either. We used to just get us the tires. We're doing it. I want, and it wasn't because it wasn't because I didn't want to do it. I wanted my stinking lazy ass cohorts to learn how to change tires. Right. I, they needed to. They needed to respect the work that most people have to put in to be able to do what we do. And uh, so, yeah, that, that's why we worked on all of our. You know, we didn't send our bikes back to the manufacturers to get them prepped. We changed the air filter and cleaned the oil because a right. you learn how hard it is to do, whether it's easy or hard to do certain bikes. Like I remember just loving getting Honda air filters out in from in between the frame rails, right? Then you pour a bunch of dirt down the air box and yeah. and all the other stuff. I'm not really picking on anything that you're going to talk about in a few minutes, uh, but <laughs> yeah. Um, Right before the best bike ever, mm -hmm. where do you get your info from, Jay Clark? Oh. Like when I, you don't know how to do something mm -hmm. and you need to learn a te technique, a tip, uh, whatever. I do have – okay. Motorcycle-wise. So okay. So uh, there's a, ch a chance I will Google stuff and look at videos. But the two – I have two people I rely on a lot uh, – uh, David O'Connor is a good friend of mine, Irish Dave. He worked at KTM and now he's, he's back at KTM building engines. He's a great resource, just a really good mechanic, very mechanically inclined and, and very quick to think of things. So he'd be a guy I'd hit up a lot. And then uh, I have a good buddy, Brad, uh, Parapros, and he's built, been building engines for 25 years range. And, uh, as far as engine, especially engine related stuff, he's kind of see, seen it all. Cause he's done it. Well, we're at that time of the night now. So the, but so he's a, he's a guy I get a lot of, and I get a lot of tech questions and between those two guys, they help me a lot on some of the tech questions that I wouldn't uh, know or be able to send somebody the right direction. So I got some really good resources that way. And then from there, if we can't solve it between those people right there, and I got something that's given us a hassle, it's, uh, and we're, you know, checking with our, any of our other mechanic sources from that are on teams and stuff. I do have a good resource of network of guys on teams in different uh, places, medias and, and stuff. So, but those are the two main guys I would hit up. Yeah. And I mean, we have the advantage of being kind of in the industry, knowing a lot of people have been doing it. There's, there's people at every manufacturer, some of them, a lot of them have gone now, yeah. the guys that have been there for a long time that, that they don't have to look at a parts fish or something where you say, Hey, 
nineteen, uh, you know, eighty three Honda CR two fifty, and they're like, oh yeah, the one with the magnesium case, and that's the one the impeller does this, and then you know, and we found that you could get this, and it's like these are this is your parts guy, this is your wealth of knowledge, and uh, but I have found, uh, <laughs> I I've just I've kind of found that when I so. Oftentimes, if I get confused, especially about something motorcycle I want to see, I go online and I watch some of these videos or, or or see the explanations. Now it's really mostly watching videos. And I'm frankly very horrified by what I see because <laughs> it's, it's either someone that's getting paid to drop a certain type of information or you got to fix this or you got to change that or whatever – or it's just not really that sound. Uh, it's not super sound advice. It's not the the best way to do it. And sometimes if I do some tech tips and stuff like that, I say, this isn't the way that everybody does it, but this is how I do it. Because it's not the way that, like the way I do a lot of things is probably not the way that the, the owner's manual is going to tell you. Yeah, and, and, and so we get people point that out right away. They, they, that's not what the manual says, or whatever. Uh, so we run into that, right? And and the, and you know some of the, the the line mechanics that are working down at the dealership aren't doing it the way the manual says it either. They're doing it the way to get it done the quickest and the easiest, you know, because they're they you know it's bitted out. This is going to take this many hours, and it's you know you can make a lot more by doing two of them in that much time and there's steps that you can shortcut and whether it's good when if i were building and and mark daniel says dave chase rest in peace who was my mechanic back in the ktm days and he was worked at pro circuit and factory Honda and stuff like that we went and did a how to rebuild a cr250r motor with him and every part that you touch was basically taken off and replaced and double checked before it went back on and it was it was to excess it was like it was like the manual to an excess there was no shortcuts taken there's no parts of it that's factory level and then then there's there's jimmy level where my bench isn't that clean and people are going oh, look at your bench is a little bit dirty aren't you worried about this and i'm like no not one bit <laughs> it's just like <laughs> so uh yeah it's it's a uh, it's interesting to see where you know you know, where you can go to get your info. So I, I have a lot of, like I said, I have a, the same thing, a lot of trusted resources that, that I, that I know can answer the questions, uh, um, when I, when I've been there, but I'm really careful about stuff that I get for, we'll call it, we'll call it for free. Like I pushed a button and the information came out for free, kind of like what you're getting with this show right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's why we have to talk about our sponsors every once in a while. Bull, uh, bulletproof design, seat concepts, Fast Company, Trail Tech, DDC, Climb Gear. Oh, that's gear. We need to do gear. One, one other question. Um, did so, you, did you uh, Takamoto. I don't know if you said that. Takamoto. We, we 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 usually do a segment called Roosterendo. So, if you're not familiar with the Tech Talk Tacos Tuesday Show, we do a segment called Roosterendo with Takamoto sponsors, and they give us a hundred bucks. And so, we you send us a picture of your bike and a little description of what you've done to it, and then we talk about your bike, kind of like we. Talk about everything. Might pick on it. Might praise you. Might chastise you. And then the one that gives us the most enjoyment, we uh, we send you a hundred bucks, a Takamoto gift certificate, which is pretty cool. But not this week because this information is too good to hold back. Because it's the best Tech Talk Taco Tuesday ever. So back to getting your stuff for free. Like my friends aren't charging me. They probably should when I ask them questions. 
they're not they're not charging me, but I built up I've built some equity in our in our friendship and my trust because I call some of these guys and I ask them hard questions, you know, especially when they're working, they're affiliated with a manufacturer or a brand, and you say, hey, what's up with this? And they'll they'll tell you, they'll explain it to you, and uh, and uh, so I I really appreciate that, and I don't. The thing is, is when they tell me something that's not very favorable. The, my first trip isn't to my keyboard to, to, to go pound on the keys and say, guess what I found out, which is kind of what happens a lot. Favorite gear, Jay. Now that I remembered it. Oh, you know what yeah. mine is? Climb. Climb. And, and climb. Because it has pockets. has really good has gear. pockets. Yeah. And, and that way you can do your Instagramming better. And uh, a lot of the steer has pockets now. Um, and I do have to wear a fanny pack on the ones that don't to hold my phone. When it's you're not allowed to say fanny pack in australia oh that's right <laughs> yeah no it's a bum bag bum bag <laughs> so yeah um, i wear the fxr gear is a newer brand uh, and one of the main reasons is the company one of the companies that i don't care for got bought by a big company and uh so now i can't wear that brand anymore and so oh. like, it's a lot of times gear is for the most part just looks cool now climb like the climb stuff you're talking about it's it's a higher it's a more higher end gear that's more expensive but also lasts a lot longer really purpose built for trail riding has longer warranties and stuff like that. Um, most of the guys that I'm dealing with and we're all looking for something that looks cool and we're gonna get we're gonna wear two or three different sets throughout the year and and can change our look up. Most guys buying climb gear are gonna buy one set for like five years, you know. Yeah, yeah. I in, I I remember you know having back in the day having a you know pay i got 20 percent off or 30 percent off or something with with gear but you know it it was like you would go to the shop and like do they have and that that was before the internet um you know they have like the last year stuff that they were trying to get rid of and it was like well that stuff still looks okay <laughs> you know? right and you're you're and so so i know that a lot of these you know guys are looking at the closeout things and uh so but yeah for for me uh i i wore some of the very first climb gear and it just it would, there was just something about it because it was, they were, they were combining like this durability with functionality with, with, um, uh, and they, they, it wasn't flashy. It was just kind of, and it was just like, okay, that, that's, that's me. It's funny. That describes, you know, what, what right. the way I kind of, kind of work, work on. And, uh, and then, and it's interesting because they were snow, snowmobile guys. And they sent some stuff to the magazine, and 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 I actually ended up picking the pants as one of my product of the products of the year. Yeah. And it's, it's probably not for everybody, but for me. And I and I and I said this is really good for these reasons, and I complained about a couple things. And like it didn't take but a few weeks, they sent down another pair of pants. Like try these, and they <laughs> all the little things that I in, incorporated in, they kind of threw in there, and and uh, yeah, it was pretty pretty cool. But if I go best gear ever i and this this is not this segment's brought to you by climb by the way some of the best gear i ever wore was when fox got into the super technical fabrics and and uh, some of the some of the they really thought about stretch panels and it was when they made one of their 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 first high-end boot and this was probably 15 17 years yeah. ago they were spending way too much money and and I remember wearing that gear and going, okay, this is kind of game changing. Just the, it's like the fit was different. And this, you know, all of a sudden, it, I swear it felt like you were not wearing any gear, but it was 
it was gear. And that's like, I just went to an Alpine stars intro and that's what all their riders said. And you could tell when they were saying scripted stuff, but when they were saying what they really felt about the gear, they said, I like it when I can't tell, I, I don't notice my gear. And that's, you know, and, and the, at the time, like the Fox gear also looked really good. It was like kind of on the, yeah. on the trend setting stuff, hard for me to tell, but everybody else said it looked pretty good. But, <laughs> and now you look forward, you know, roll forward 15, 20 years, everybody's doing that kind of a line. They have that high performance uh, thing. The materials are getting so much better. And uh, most with, of that know, stuff stretch is better. Panels and, and most of that stuff's better for guys that are in shape and fit. And so I don't fall into that category. So I like my stuff a little looser and baggier to not accentuate the, uh, the those other lines you know so for me but that part that, doesn't matter jay that's where the, that's where they're fixing it they're they they realize who's buying it it's guys like us who got a little you know i call it my camel front it's my extra energy for when i go riding i don't have to carry it on my back i already i, I installed it earlier but the the but they're they're actually building gear for regular sized people that has these features incorporated into it because it's not it doesn't have to hug you and tighten you it's just you know they put the sweat panels in the right place and the and the if, if there's any sort of protection or just the collars or yeah. you know set the, the 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 pants they 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 you know whether they they go into the boot over the boot whatever they do you know pockets like i found a pocket in one of my climb like um, kind of technical jerseys uh that i didn't even know existed it was kind of over on the side and it was like, oh, they got a little pocket in this thing. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, okay. Let's, it, we should touch on, I do like Alpine Star. I insist on Alpine Star boots, Tech 10s, and their new helmet is incredible. So, and, and with helmet technology, there's a lot of really good lightweight helmets out there now that I think more than there was. And so, um, yep. and we don't and know. Lightweight is important. And as far yeah, the lightweight for me is important because I noticed if I have a helmet that's a half a pound heavier than a different helmet, at the end, especially trail riding, but with any of it, especially my age, my neck is really sore, like crazy sore the, the next that day, the next day. It's it's really tough. So a lightweight and, helmet and, to me helps. And if you use the helmet, the lightweight when you actually use it to protect your head, that weight F equals MA, lightweight does improve unless it's a catastrophic hit, then you need as much protection as you can. But generally less weight of a helmet. Uh, tends to yield better results in impact studies. Uh, so, yeah, good on that. Okay, question of the night. The best bike ever. And what I want to I want to start this out by. I think you you this is this is how I got you hooked here because you you definitely have one and and it and right away you started making making sense. Can you guess what I'm going to pick? Well. I know you love that Hoosberg 570. Okay, and, I, and in in the chat, if you want to throw up your picks in the chat, I might rattle some of these things off over over time. Conrad already just went YZ125, and Conrad's a guy that needs some help rebuilding. He's one of the guys that has sent me information about rebuilding. He he kept putting his YZ125 back together, but he he left the pieces from the old piston back in the bottom end. Nice. It's a it's a, it's a common mistake. It happens. But okay, so so here we go. Uh, uh, so you're thinking I'm, I'm going to go Husaberg 570. Yeah. So it's possible. So this is what, when you pitched me on this show the other day, you, uh, this is, I didn't, I didn't prep for any of the other questions. You just brought up this one as a, as a potential question. And as soon as you asked me, I immediately answered. And that's why I kind of didn't want right. to prep on any of the answers. I didn't want to be all jaded. 
but this is the one you pre- and I immediately thought of what I would say. Yeah, no, and 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 I and I, and I right away I, I said that's a good one, but then you explained it and it got even better. Well, so so, that, so, so go I, ahead, we're going to do yours, and, and if at some point your brain thinks you might know what mine mine is, you know. It's going to be now, Mark, you can't have three. Okay. So go ahead, Jay. What's your bike? So it's and the, it can be a year range too, by the way. It's the 05 to 08 Honda 450. And it's the, and the 08 was obviously the best one. And the reason for that is I feel like from the 08 Honda 450 was kind of the best bike and it would have won shootouts for probably a couple more years, at least uh, as, as it was stock for 09, 10 in that range. The bike was kind of measured. Everybody measured the other bikes off of that bike. That bike was so good for that for period sure. of time. So from 05 to 08, even a little bit before that, but 05 to 08, that bike was amazing stock. The suspension's good. The durability was amazing. Honda and uh, left, you know, only had, had two oil compartments in that engine and, and for that, from the beginning of the Honda 450. And from 05 uh, to 08, the durability was so good on all the stock components. The bikes could be really be beat. And, and one of the reasons I, that I stick with that, that this bike is because that's also the bike that the Honda 450X is, the 05 Honda 450X. And there's a little bit of difference to an 06, but so from that bike to a 17 is the same bike, that carbureted bike that's won all the Baja races and is just the standard for a lot of guys even today are still running that bike like in Baja and many places. That bike is really good. It's really, really bulletproof. And I think because it has two oil compartments that you don't have the clutch contaminants messing with the, the piston and valves and so forth. So that bike right. is really durable. That 450X is just a standard. It's, it's really good. You could, if, and I still like finding that. I fixed up a few over the last few years. If you find them for a good deal, they're still a great bike. And if you can find one of those with low hours, it's worth uh, fixing up and having as a good bike as your good desert bike, uh, open. Obviously, it's maybe it's not great on the tight, tight trails, uh, but as far as anything else, it's amazing. And so the Honda 450 for me was was that bike, and uh, in that generation, that time frame was just that the best bike. And I think everybody chased that bike for a long time. And I think the Kawasaki 450 uh, that was that was the that was the the favorite bike for five or six years yeah. after 08. Was modeled a lot after the <laughs> the, the CRF 450. Totally agree. Yeah. So it had that yeah. same bulletproof feel, you know, and that that's why I think that the Honda 450 is that because everybody kind of copied it, so to speak, to be with that. And I'm sure there's there's going to be many great bikes coming out right now. And, and there's bikes that I like better. I like a KTM 350 with, well, you know, with my 6500 kit or, or, you know, spring conversions on it. That's one of my favorite bikes to ride. But as far as best bike all time, I would have to go with that, with that Honda 450. That's, that's a, it's a, that's a, I think that's a pretty unanimous slam dunk. I, that's a, every, for every reason you said, when you, when you brought in the whole X thing and how long the X lasted with that sort of that platform yeah. and stuff. And I, and I remember those and I, they were so from five to six to seven, that bike just getting that much better, just refine it, refine it at eight. And then when they went to the 09 and I, I was a really big fan of the 09 because the characteristics that Honda chose were things that I actually liked. I liked the way the fuel injection uh, mellowed the motor out a certain amount and made it, you know, for me, easier ride. But all the stuff that they changed, which if I liked it, that probably meant that most people didn't. Right. <laughs> so it was, it was a, little, a little bit, but I remember that, the, you know, that, that 08, that was such a, you know, a good, a good bike. By the way, this uh, segment brought to you by Yamaha. 
Yamaha uh, <laughs> makes the 2023 YZ450, which could be the bike of the century. Uh, you never know. Um, I rode one and I overjumped uh, the big road jump in Washougal and I still lived. So pretty good. Uh, I hadn't ridden one until I went to Washougal and um, Mike Ulrich, they had some bikes up there for the Alpine Stars gear intro. And uh, man, that, that that thing has a lot of power. It, <laughs> that's a lot of power. So everybody thinks I'm going to pick a Husaberg. That's why I'm drinking right now. So I can go off of a, I had to have a couple of drinks just to settle my nerves here. Cause I'm really going to do my Husaberg love a little disservice here, but the Husaberg 570, which is what, you know, I, I used to talk about that bike forever and ever, but previous to that, there was the Husaberg 650, which was the old, <laughs> you know, Swedish Husaberg. And I got one of those, like, me and Ray Conway were sitting around talking about one. I actually went and bought a couple of them because I wanted to experience that motor again. Cause I mean, nothing makes power like that. Not, not even the new Yamaha. And if it wasn't for that bike making so much power and then them making that KTM version of the 570. So taking the KTM motor, which, Hey, guess what, Jay, two oil compartments, that, that thing that Honda did really well and KTM yeah. just couldn't quite figure out. Well, the Husaberg guys looked at that and said, nah, that's not the way to do it. So they went back and turned the motor upside down, crooked backwards, you know, however they did it in the 570. That was the first, quote, fuel-injected KTM, the Husaberg 570. And, and that's part of the, the project, how they allowed them to make this. They said, you develop our fuel injection. Nobody, nobody at KTM would even ride that Husaberg. It was like, that was a look at that weird pile of crap like why do we even care about this and they were they were meanwhile working on that ktm 530 which is really a 2008 to 2010 mistake in the ktm uh lineage of the the large displacement four stroke but when the thing when that husaberg started getting incredible reviews and their their baby 530 was getting tortured in the media they actually went and finally wrote it and said, Oh wow. <laughs> and and I, you know, I heard some things. Like they were well on their way to the KTM 500, the new one. And that whole thing got scrapped because they're like, hey, everybody better ride and try this thing. So my bike is any year KTM 500 EXC. And and it's it's that because if if you had one versatile one bike that's so versatile that you could do almost anything on it's the same platform as the KTM 450SX you got 50 cc's more makes less horsepower you know has the wrong ECU in it <laughs> has lights you can take off but it's it's got the heart of a motocross bike but then you can take this bike out and almost go do extreme enduro on it it, right. it has this wide you can turn it from a dual sport bike with some luggage and stuff and a big gas tank into an adventure bike and you can strip it down and make it work on a motocross track. Yeah. It has PDS suspension and people think that's junk too, but I don't, <laughs> it, it, it'll, it'll get the job done. So I'm going with any year KTM 500 EXC. And, and there was, there was a really good time around 2016 to 2018 where the emissions requirements weren't so strict and, yeah. uh, and, and the, the, they, there was 
still enough motorcycle there, you know, because they've made that bike lighter and lighter. And I think with some of that lightweight, it's it's not just nine pounds lighter. There's nine pounds less motorcycle. And I haven't seen the durability decline, but I worry a little bit about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you talked about that Honda being just rock solid durable. Yeah. And you're you're listening to two guys that have been around this industry for a long time. And we keep coming back to that durability. And even for guys that work on motorcycles all the time, we like durability, you know, right. um, you know, something that's gonna last, something that's built well, uh, something you know that they that has a that has a track record, it's lasted for a few years. It wasn't like a one and done sort of a Sort of a thing. So thanks to the Husaberg, <laughs> we have a uh, we have a, a, a KTM 500 that'll uh, that I think that's that would be my um, my and, I, and if I don't know anything about you, say hey, I want to get into dirt bikes and I want to ride. I just literally say KTM 500. I used to not even hesitate to give that answer. Now I hesitate a little bit because Yamaha is a big sponsor of the show, and I try to figure out what Yamaha would fit into your needs because I'm just a shill for all of my sponsors, as you are too, right, Jay? Well, yeah, and, and but there are Yamaha has a lot of you know companies like that have a lot of different offerings, and there are bikes. I wish Yamaha would make a 350, you know, for instance, but they don't. But those th- Dude, I think they're coming. Yeah. A 350, a 300 two-stroke, yeah, and a dual sport bike. A real dual sport, yeah, not <laughs> they, a street bike. Engine. That's that's why that's why I can say the KTM 500 because there's there's Yamaha doesn't even acknowledge that that market exists. Right. They don't even make one. They're like we don't we're not there. If they made one, it would be the best right. because it's Yamaha. I right? think it would be really good. <laughs> I can't argue with that. You no, know, hey, the the good the good thing. And this is what's cool about having them as a sponsor is they they uh, they know we tell it like it is. They say, hey, we want to support your show, and and they do make really good really good bikes, and they you know you can't. Be sponsored by Yamaha and say the KTM is the best bike ever. But guess what? We had advertisers in the magazine that paid a lot more than sometimes the companies that won the shootouts. And I didn't care because my customer is not my advertiser. My customer is the 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 person, the rider. Right. And that's uh, I still feel that way today. And I and that's why I work with all the companies I work with. And I think you're the same way. Yeah, and I so. that's and and when you do this deal, you know, I've been doing this deal for over thirty years. So I want to. And, and and now it's become much more personal. People are emailing us and DMing us, and we we talk, and much more interactive with people, right? And if I recommend something or tell somebody to do something or a bike to buy, I don't want them uh, really bummed at me uh, later. You know, I want to really try to help them and direct them in the right way. And well, it's we, it's your credibility. Yeah, is now now your brand is your credibility. Right. It's what you say. It's how you uh, do things. And and yeah, you have you know you, it's like. If I can recommend a sponsor of the show, if I know it's going to solve your problem, I'd love to do that or just some yeah. of the brand that's helped me out or whatever. But if I know that it's absolutely not the right product to you, I'm not going to try to shove it down your throat. Right. I'm going to say, you know, like like I always say, like with the tires, for instance, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I run Kenda tires. But, eh, I, you know, if you don't like this characteristic or that, there's probably some better, you know, better options. And and so I think that's what that's what's that's why we've been around for this long is we're able to <laughs> kind of tell it like it is and. And uh, and do uh, do different things. Oh, for sure. So, well, that's the, the you know I was I, I was thinking it was going to be a bombshell. You know, we were going to drop the Husaberg, and then Jay was going to pick a God. What would if you had to pick a really weird? How about RM two fifty nineteen ninety six seven? 
I don't know. It, you don't remember it, those? Yeah, I remember. I had one. You know, I rode some of there, but yeah. back back in there, I think the you know the the Hondas before when they were steel steel frames up until ninety steel frames. Yeah, those were good. Frame ninety six. I'd probably rather have one of those than a Suzuki. And then when they went to the aluminum frame, we wouldn't want those for those three years until they went to like two thousand. Those were a lot better. But as far as the I don't know that there's very many bikes out there that that would even come to what I feel like that Honda 450 was. Obviously, I know that throughout time, like from the 70s, well, all through the 70s and 80s, as somebody added a mono shock and added a, a disc brake in the front and then disc brake in the rear and then water water cooling and all those things that got added, those all were little steps to making bikes to what they are today. Each one was a step. As far as the best bike, I think that that 08 Honda 450 is what brought the last 15 years of bikes to where it is. Right. And, and, uh, and uh, one thing I was going to say is like, dude, that thing has a carburetor on it. But you know, even when we were talking earlier, you're not too scared of carburetors. No. Like, and, and if they're set up well, and, and the big thing is that they're, that they're actually working, that the pilot jet's not partially clogged. Well, there we go. You talking about something that's, that's set, when you have 70 motorcycles and some have <laughs> carburetors, those oh. ones, it's like almost like owning a horse. You, you almost have to work on the damn thing every once in a while where the fuel injected bikes, man, start right up. So if I was going to shoot down your Honda one, I'm like, if that thing had fuel injection, but back then fuel injection wasn't what it is today. Right. You know, it was, a, it, was it was, it was different. So yeah, that was definitely, a, I mean, even, you know, this whole transition of four strokes and uh, the fact that both of us picked, you know, four strokes, I'm I, I, I really interested to see where two strokes go and, uh, you know, coming with some of this stuff. But I don't, I don't think everybody's going to jump back on it. And we're emerging in this age of electronic bikes and electric. And yeah, who knows where that's uh, going to take us. Uh, hopefully nowhere. So let's not let's not talk. <laughs> about that. <laughs> could, you, could you could you lose your entire fan by fan base by embracing uh, electric anything? Yeah, no. no. Maybe. So I, <laughs> I, I have an electric blower that I'm liking, and that's about it. Because it, electric blower, huh? uh, so we can just stay. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I've got I've got electric blower, chainsaw, all the things that I thought I would never never do, and yeah. it's coming, Jay. I kid you not that yeah. it's maybe not really right here ready for prime time, but right. They're going to be so good. It's when it, when they figure this stuff out, it's the, the only thing you're not going to get is the noise. And I came up with a uh, patent pending idea to fix this whole problem last week on the show. So you're going to have to watch Tech Talk Taco Tuesday episode number 196 to steal my idea from yeah. me. But uh, other than that, hey, uh, thanks a lot for coming on. This is super fun. Are you welcome? Uh, it was a good time. It's like, it's like a conversation we'd have, like, you know, driving out to the riding area. Yeah. I'd like now. I'll try to stop. We need to, I need, when I'm driving through on a Tuesday, it's better to stop in there. Yeah. Or, or do it on another day. We'll just pre-record the damn thing. That way I don't have to be here on a Tuesday. I can, <laughs> I can, uh, you know, go to the bar or whatever, not wake up, I guess be asleep by seven o'clock, whatever I do. <laughs> so, um, yeah, good times. I'll take you on a, on a mellow trail ride. We won't go up any gnarly canyons. I, uh, we, we, cause it was wet. We went South when I, I would like to take you yeah. North okay. yeah, out of here. So, uh, but good time. Yeah. Bring me a bike to ride. Bring me a project bike. That's like all jimmied out, you know, flex bars, right. uh, has to, it has to have a trail tech computer on it. Um, seat concept seat. Yep. Yep. And a recluse. Yeah. Uh, auto clutch recluse. You can do recluse. Uh, it doesn't have to have one, but I, I like a recluse here. Oh, well probably if you brought me a recluse, I promise you, Jay, I take it and I'd ride around and I'd turn around and come back. I'd lay it over inside, pop the cover off and I pull the thing out and I change a couple 
springs and wedges inside there and go, here's how it's supposed to work. Yeah. But it's good that you've gotten that good at adjusting them. Also, for whatever it's worth, on like Recluse, for instance, they make torque drive clutches that are more like a manual clutch, you know, just, just like conventional clutch. Really good. And they work yep. really good. And I just think people will say the term, you got a recluse, and it's like, okay, you got a recluse auto clutch, not a recluse torque drive. So there's a yeah. big difference between the two. That, And we really like we've been, uh, the torque drives, what's in this Yamaha. I wrote at Glen Helen today. I've um, got one in so my good. YZ125. Yeah, I put I put one in, and it was kind of funny because I was, I was practicing starts. I was actually doing a tire test. I was doing a lot of starts, a lot of starts, a lot of starts. And my clutch started going bad. I'm, I'm going to get one of these. And wow, what a difference. That's cool. Like, it, it's kind of surprising that something like that, you know, it's more plates in the smaller area. So yeah. all good. Hey, well, uh, thanks everybody for joining in. Uh, watch us. Uh, if you like this, like, subscribe, follow. What, what else do you tell people to do? Uh, like, a, comment, put a, subscribe. Put, a, put, put my tagline on a carrier pigeon and put it on its leg and fly it away. And then maybe people will start liking the show. So... Uh, anyways, uh, follow at Dirt Bike TV one. What's your What's your kid's thing? Dirt Bike TV two. It's very complicated. He's he's number two. Got it. That's all right. Number two. So uh, good to good to see you. And uh, for everybody joining in, we will uh, see you out in the trail. So cheers, everybody.